click, pay, and download instantly. Welcome to the podcast. You're tuning into another episode of Epic Arcade Podcast, where we bring you up to speed on all things gaming, this week in gaming. This is your host, Kelvin Tay and Offit K. Take it away, boys. You have to have a purpose. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you do. Streaming on Twitch to one viewer feels like it's a small thing to do. No shit, man. But it's not if you look at it from the perspective of, I've never streamed before. Mm-hmm. I would like to go on Twitch and stream. I've got a friend who wants to watch me. As the person who's streaming, it doesn't feel like the smallest thing in the world because it takes courage, it takes a thought process, and it takes a purpose. You you had a purpose. You wanted you wanted you want to entertain people. Yeah. And when you have that purpose, you always have something to fall back on. You know, no matter what happens, you have to wake up tomorrow and you have to stream because you have a purpose. Hello, Ajahao. and Apakaba, everybody. Man, just 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 as we started recording, my mom just came to my room. Yeah, I think what are we talking about today? Because it's 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 well, been a while since we actually came in, not not really into the studio, but came yeah. into a recording. And yeah, yeah, man, talk to me, man. Okay, so um, I brought this up to you, Kel. Um, I think a couple of days ago, last week, I uh, think that uh, uh, we've, this week, I we've think. been, yeah, we've been getting into a lot of like gaming news and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? And we're at this point in the year where there aren't there aren't many. There's not much that's going on, and I think that's also because that's also because um, a lot of com- a lot of companies, a lot of like gaming. Uh, studios are not this is a weird time to release your games right Mm because you there's christmas is coming up soon um it's the fall so everyone's just waiting for that right time to release something or like to 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 launch something so this is a period of time where there's not going to be much news except for like negative ones i would say like whatever like whatever happened with uh blizzard Mm, activision blizzard activision and all that that's a fucked up terrible thing I would say, I would say it's a very awkward time in gaming. Why? Why would you? Why would you say? Why would you use the the word awkward? It's like it's like how Joe liked to use the word kinky. It's like he he, he, he always sees so, something weird or or, or amusing. Is like hmm, that's kind of oh, kinky. that's kinky. That's kinky. <laughs> it's like that doesn't fucking make sense. But uh, why why I say it's awkward is because like yeah. you you are in a time where. Everyone is working from home, and and by everyone, I'm talking about people within the gaming in- industry. Yep. And and there's 
there's a lot of limitations when you're just working from home, especially if you're working on like a triple A or like a indie game, for example, right? Uh, looking at how Cyberpunk was like fucked in the butt so badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tell at me about it. A couple more, more games that have been coming out. And, and just the fact that all the big titles that have been delayed to next year or late this year itself shows that it, it kind of is a very awkward situation. A lot of things yep. are not meeting its time frame. A lot of a lot of things are just like they're they're just expanding their their timeline. So so yeah, hence hence why I used the word awkward, man. It is a very awkward time. You can't right. You you can't meet or exceed expectations. Right. Yeah, I get it. And because of because of the lack of activity that's going on in the gaming industry at the moment, I figured that it would be a good idea for us to kind of pivot a little bit. And I mean, we can still talk about like, you know, some of the, some of the more, you know, gaming news in real time that's happening bit by bit, week, week after week. Mm -hmm. But I think I also want to start like talking about stuff that, that matter, that matter more to us, you know, Uh, things that, things that um, are more explore, Yeah, things that explore my thought process or explore your thought process. And what I wanted to talk about was because I've been I've been streaming on Twitch and then I've been on Twitch more often now. Mm-hmm. I kind of I've been watching a I've been watching a few different streamers and I realized there are some that I really like and some that I don't like and some that I'm just okay with, but there's there there are some streamers where Whenever I see a notification of them going live, I get excited. You know, like I could be in the middle of playing Apex, then then I see so and so or such and such are on or are live. I'm like, oh shit, they're live. So I know I already know. Like after I'm done with this game, I'm probably done with gaming for the night, and I just want to watch these people like uh, stream, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a as a streamer, that's a powerful effect. That's a that's that's a powerful influence over someone. So I kind of want to talk about streamers in that. Um, in that within that light, and um, yeah, man. Okay, I guess this whole topic we'll be talking about our favorite streamers. Is that wrong? That's right. Mm-hmm. All right, so stay tuned. We'll be right back after this amazing jingle. Throughout this whole planning of this episode, uh, yeah, just so you guys know, this is unscripted. I we have no script. It's always it's always unscripted. Like on 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 my main on my main screen right now, I'm watching Siren stream on Twitch, and 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 on my left screen, which is my my secondary screen, is just Discord. It's Afik. It's me, and again, there's no script. Okay. Yeah, so, on my on my main monitor, there's a wallpaper that I've created myself with like lines and shit, and it's got my Twitch name there because I'm a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Just as retro ripples. Whenever I look at it, I remind myself that I have a purpose. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm looking at. Okay. Totally unscripted. Yeah. So so again, just to re- reiterate for the audiences out there. Oh, hi, Kev. Uh, Where's Kev? Oh, oh Kev. Kev's gonna be listening to this. He, he's gonna listen to this, so I'm just gonna yeah. say hi. Hey, Kev. Surely. What's up, Kev? Uh, yeah. Let's let's talk about our favorite streamer. And since you're leading this episode itself, I'm just going to leave it all to you. And I'm just going to chime in because I don't like watching streams. 
I like watching right. highlights, right? Like, uh, right. I I do follow a number of uh, very popular st- streamers, and and straight off the bat, I can name a few like Soviet Womble, Ken, uh-huh. Candy Roo, Ken, Candy Drew, Candy Roo, uh, Shroud, it's Timmy and Kevin Schmidty. Kevin Schmidty, yeah, right. that's 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 up there. Yeah, that's that's like top five, right? But yeah, I people are gifting subs on his. Uh, people are gifting I, subs on his channel like nobody's business. I know. I'm. Someone gifted me a sub on Kevin's yeah. channel. So, yeah, hack, anyways, uh, hacker, hack United or something like that. Yeah. Right? So so, anyways, um, I tried watching them stream live, but I realized I prefer watching their highlights on YouTube, like like that 10, 11 minute clip right. on on YouTube. Yeah. Right. So right. so yeah, that's me. What about you? Um. Well, I have I I watch a couple of streamers. I watch um, Symphony, um, Shroud. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim the Tapman, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Schmidty. Mm-hmm. Top, uh, top five again. I mean, like I said, Kevin Schmidty is up there. You know, people are gifting subs on his channel like nobody's business. Yeah. Who else do I watch on Twitch? Oh, a friend of ours, um, Shafiq, uh, introduced me to uh, Nafsu. Introduced oh, me to okay. Liz Vega, which is a, a music streamer, and she's pretty cool. She has like instruments around her, and she live streams her playing music and she loops it so she plays an instrument she loops it then she sings over it. it's pretty cool but for the most part i watch a lot of streamers who who play video games mm-hmm. and um i started out with twitch watching shroud i actually started watching him stream when he was on twitch and then when he left twitch to go to mixer mm-hmm. and then when he moved back to twitch um i kind of stuck with him right and I watched him because I enjoyed his content. He's really good at what he does. He's really good at the games that he plays. But then, you know, a few months after that, when I started streaming, I realized that there there are a lot more that I need to learn that I can't learn with Shroud. Now, I'll get to what that is in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I'll use an example of two polarizing streamers, two streamers on different ends of the spectrum. You've got Shroud on one end who streams extraordinary gameplay. He's got, like, the best freaking aim mm. in the world. Dude, he is he is born out of the womb with, like, aimbot installed, man. Exactly. Right? Exactly. He's got, he's got like, his brain is processing aimbot mm-hmm. better than, like, actual aimbots that you pay 300 ringgit for on Shopee. Yep. And on the other end of that spectrum... Right, you have a streamer like Tim the Tatman. He's well, he's okay. He he's good at Warzone, right? But unlike Apex, uh, uh, sorry, unlike Shroud, he's not good at every game he plays. That's very true. I think we had this conversation yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. But we, when we were watching um, one of his highlights, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you appreciate the fact that he sucks. And there's a and 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 that's a that's a point that he understands as a content creator. So the difference between someone like Tim the Tatman and Shroud is that Shroud's a professional video game player, right? And he he used to compete professionally. Tim the Tatman, on the other hand, is a content creator, right? And I mm-hmm. think there are a lot of people who cannot differentiate this differentiate this when they're watching Twitch because I've heard people say like not about Tim the Tatman but just about like you know your average streamer. I've heard people say that, um, oh, why is he streaming? It's not even that good. That's not the point. The point of streaming is not just to stream your amazing gameplay. 
right? It's about creating content. It's about you. It's about building a community, and yep. that's one of the reasons why Tim the Tatman is one of my favorite streamers too. Right? He understands that he sucks, you know, and he and he doesn't try to he doesn't try to change that as much. Yeah. But because of that, he becomes so relatable to people like me and a lot more. And a lot more others out there who, you know, yeah, want to play something because for because I, they just want to have fun. I, I, I remember having this conversation with you, I think it was a couple of days back, or was it yesterday? I can't remember. I was watching I was watching Tim play uh, Apex. Apex, yeah. And I feel like I can own him in, in Apex. Yeah, I feel like I can and, own him yeah, too. <laughs> like like I feel like I can own him and and it it caught me by surprise because I'm so used to watching people like Shroud for example, people like yeah. Timmy for example. And uh what's the other guy? Uh what's Aceu. Abrel Eli Aceu. Oh my right? god, dude. If, that guy if, is cracked, man. If you if you compare Aceu, it's Timmy and Shroud in like Apex for example. They yeah. they they have the ability to make you feel so insignificant. It's like mm-hmm. I, I, I can comfortably say I can comfortably say I have about two thousand hours of experience on Apex. Apex, right? right? Yeah. Although I haven't been playing a lot of Apex lately, I can say that I can still jump on it, and the muscle memory will kick in, and I can still kick some ass. Right. But watching these three streamers that I mentioned, right. They just make you want to delete the game. It's like, am I doing something mm-hmm. wrong with my life? You know, am I exactly? Am I not born with like that that kind of intense focus and aim when it comes to gaming? And yeah. And, and yeah, after watching like Tim the Tatman, for example, I was like, shit. He, I like not. I like how he's not a tryhard. I like how mm-hmm. that he is very genuine. I like mm-hmm. how he's actually just having fun. There's no toxicity. Yep. There's no, there's no like rage. I, I mean, Tim actually rages, and I love it when he rage. But yeah, you get what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I get, I get what you mean. Yeah, it's um. So to bring the conversation back to um, ACU and uh, uh, what do you call it? ACU, it's Timmy Shroud. Um, I believe that there are two schools of thought. And there might be more, but I have only been exposed to two schools of thought, right? The first one is you want to you want to watch people stream on Twitch because you want to watch them do something that you can't do. It's kind of mm-hmm. like watching sports, right? That's when you kind of that's why people watch Shroud, ACU, it's Timmy. What they do is like amazing. You'd never think to do what they do, so on and so forth. The other school of thought is you want to be you just want to be entertained mm-hmm. and you want to be a part of a community of people who. Um, I'm not sure how to explain this, but I think the easiest way for me to explain this is to reference my favorite streamer, like I said earlier, which is Tim the Tatman. He's got a community um, and everybody enjoys being part of that community because this is going to sound simplistic, but it's so important. His community bullies the fuck out of him, right? And they, you know... Every like every five minutes, there's someone in his chat that says, "Tim, you're fat," <laughs> you know, and the fact that he takes that with such grace, um, 
And the fact that he's not a simp for his chat, it makes him such a good personality. Mm-hmm. You know, it, he, it doesn't make him feel untouchable. It doesn't make him feel like you need to be walking on um, thin ice with this guy. It's just a community that's built because, and they do that because they enjoy, they enjoy how he reacts. They enjoy, you know, the things that he says about it. So there, there are two schools of thought. And I think I subscribe more to that second school of thought. The fact that it's very, very important to be, um, to have a community that enjoys your content. And um, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring, um, bring up a conversation that I had with Kevin um, a while back. I don't remember when, it might be last month. Uh, him and I were talking about our favorite streamers, and then he was mentioning his favorite streamers, Moon Moon, mm-hmm. and then I was saying how mine was Tim, mine is Tim the Tapman, and then we landed into this conversation about um, how much subscribers they have, which would kind of show how much money they're actually making just from Twitch, right? And it was interesting because you know you have Ninja Shroud at the you know at the higher levels. And then you have people like uh, Moon Moon who aren't as high. Um, and then you have other streamers that are doing well, but don't have as many subscribers. They have a lot of viewers, but they don't have as many subscribers. And then Kevin brought up a point that made sense the more I think about it. People like Ninja and Shroud, um, their community is very young. Um, like for Ninja, his community was built upon Fortnite. And Fortnite has a very young audience yeah definitely that- so that means that you know if ninja is the highest streaming fortnite the, sorry if if uh, ninja is the most successful fortnite streamer there's a high probability that a bigger chunk of his audience are are you know children mm-hmm. and you know at the same time it doesn't matter if you're a streamer and you're making money it doesn't matter you know who's actually even if it's like a 12 year old kid paying you with i don't know the mom's credit card or something it doesn't matter to you because you you know you're there to make that money but when we're talking about building a community that's when um you can compare ninja's community versus tim the tatman's community tim the tatman has a has a um, a more adult community and yeah just just even looking at his content it's very clear that tim the tatman is catered to like PG thirteen and above, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's um that that was an interesting conversation that I had with Kevin, uh, regarding you know this this topic that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. What about you, Kel? What um what who would you say is your favorite streamer and why? I think easily my favorite streamer would be Lulu. No, actually, no. Lulu would be number two. My right. favorite would be Candy Roo. Candy Roo. Yeah, Candy. Okay. The the yeah. Asian guy with glasses. Yeah. I I feel the same with Candy. Like how you feel the same with Tim the Tatman, because right. because to me sometimes Tim the Tatman actually sounds very obnoxious he's, he's loud he's like very right. out there he, he shouts a lot yeah. and, and he rage um, it's it's not excuse me it's not really the pace that I prefer 
Right. Candy, on the other hand, he's he's very humble. He's he's, I mean, if I would say, I mean, if 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 I can just be bold and and say he's a bit timid. Right, and and, and, and so he's he's a, he's, more, a, he's more quiet on stream. He's, he's more quiet on stream. He's more chilled, and and it's not as intense as as you would expect someone like Candy, uh, someone like Tim, for example. Right, uh, right, yeah, and and. When I was very active with Apex, I watched a lot of Candy to improve myself with, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how how he explains things, how he breaks down his gameplay, and 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 how you just have fun. And he knows, like like Tim the Tatman, Candy knows that. Candy knows that he he's not that great compared to like Shroud, you know, right? Uh, ACU. It's Timmy. It's Timmy. And he's very acceptable of of that fact that he's not that great. But the fact right. that he grinds and, and he improves in himself like throughout every every stream that you see him on, it's fucking mm-hmm. impressive, dude. And and the second favorite streamer that I like is the Kraber Queen herself which is Lulu Lovely Lulu Lovely yeah she's toxic as fuck man really like I mean I don't I don't follow Lulu Lovely as much but I do watch some of her highlights on YouTube yeah Um, like I like define define toxic like how 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 toxic does she she looks she looks cute and all right she's she's fucking beautiful and all but when she plays Apex and she gets sweaty Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, she is toxic, man. Like, like she would curse, <laughs> she would swear, and she would say things, and like, whoa, whoa, chill out, chill out, relax, <laughs> right? Um, but the fact, the fact that she is, she is, like, up there in terms of like Apex rank and Apex game, dude, that's fucking impressive as well. Like, yeah, those those two are the are the streamers that I watch most compared to the rest that I've named. Uh, can Candy definitely top one? I always look forward to his content when it comes to Apex and Lulu is, it's either two or three lah. Right. So yeah. let me ask you a question. Um, what would you look for? What would you be looking for? Entertainment in a streamer. Entertainment. Like and what just, if just, you could break that down? If you could break that down, like okay, what type of entertainment would you? Let's just take our. For? Let's just take our best friend Kevin for example, right? Okay. All right. Twitch TV slash Kevin Schmidt. Uh, Kevin Schmidty, right? Schmidty, Schmidty, yeah, S C H M I D T Y, Schmidty. The fact that his entertainment level, like Kevin, if you're listening to this, I'm not trying to kiss your ass, right? I'm just, I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm just saying, I'm just saying what I feel. He wants, uh, he wants another gifted sub. That's what, that's what's up. Choice in music. Right. All right. Choice in music. Very I, important. I, I, I agree. I know Kev has like a nine to five, and and mm-hmm. he he even brings work home at night. Mm-hmm. I want to know how he finds his music, because whenever you think you go into a stream, twenty six hours in America, man. Yeah. When, whenever you go into a stream, and and you're 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 at that that start screen, before he goes into his game. 
or or when he's having a boss fight, he can just simultaneously turn on like this this really nice sixteen beat or, or like lo fi or like yep. I, I I don't even know what genre it is. The the ability of him to change music so quickly and and not just that, he's able to find music that actually fits the situation that yep. he's in. Fucking <clears throat> impressive. Yep. Right? And I feel every time going into his, his stream, there's new music. Something new. So, something that you've never heard of that, that keeps you captivated. Right. Uh, the stupid things he say on stream as well, it's, it, <laughs> it's so unprecedented. It's like, it's so random. You, you don't expect it to happen. He's able to game and at the same time pay attention to chat as well. Because that's that's something that I find impressive. I I can't do it, right? That's that's one of the re- reason why I am not streaming as much anymore. Is that I find it annoying to pay attention to chat, not because right. chat is annoying. It's like when I play games, I put a hundred and ten percent into the games that I'm focused in. Right. So so yeah. So so that's one. It's not a. It's not easy being a content creator, is Dude, it? It's it's not easy. Like that's um what you just said about about um paying attention to chat, that's something that, that's as a, a Twitch streamer myself, that's a skill. That's something that I am proud of. Uh, that's something that I'm proud of with myself because I'm able to give my game 110% and I still pay attention to chat. And I understand not, not everyone can do that. It's um, a number, you know, it, it takes, it takes, if, if it doesn't come naturally to you, it's going to take some practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's also coming to terms with the fact that not every query or question um, or conversation starter that someone puts in your chat needs to be addressed immediately. Yep. You know, I've, I've kept that in my head. Like if I'm in combat and then you ask me a question, you, you're going to have to fucking wait. Yeah. You, I, I will get to you mm-hmm. and I don't have to tell you that I will get to yep. you because you can see what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. No, like, <laughs> like the, there was a couple of times where, when I was streaming, right? And and I'm in, in a very intense gunfight. Yeah. I don't know, Someone's... Going in and I was like, guys, guys, chill, 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 chill. I have to win this fight. And you know Apex, right? Famous for third, fourth, fifth part- yeah. parties. Yeah, and yeah. And the people just keep coming and coming and coming. And I was like, oh my fucking God, I can't multitask. That's, that's when I realized... And you, and you know what? You don't have to. Yeah. That's, fuck, that's when I realized that, that I can't really multitask. Right. Especially when I'm paying attention to something so you know, intense like Apex, yeah. for example. I like that you brought the fact that that kind of showed you that you can't multitask because that showed me that I can to a certain extent. Yeah, you get no, what no, I mean? No, like, like you, you <laughs> can to a certain extent, right? But it's like, okay. Okay, uh, okay to the people of the podcast, what I'm doing now is I'm looking at my main screen. Okay, I think this, this is my, yeah. my main screen. Yeah. So this is where my gameplay is, and this is where chat is. Okay? okay. So if I am playing a game, this is where I'm looking at. Now I have to like look to the left, like right here, just for chat. And I have to pay attention back here again. It's not some. It's not something that I really want, especially if I'm playing FPS game. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. If, if I'm playing something casual, for example, right. If I'm playing yep. the 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 ascent, for example, or or right. if I'm playing like Pokemon Unite, for example. Yeah. Sure. You know, I can just like pay attention as I walk and as I, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you guys, blah, 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 blah. And I come into my game. But for Apex, yep. it's like, you you have to constantly be alert. Dude. You have to constantly yep. be on your feet. 
Yeah. You know? like, okay, so like, okay. Like your so ass we're... is constantly clenched. Right. I get it. Right. I my ass my ass is clenched. The moment I launch Apex, it clenches up. It goes, like tense, and then it tense. only goes back out the yeah. moment I alt F four. Yep. So all, I get I get what you're you saying. All when you die. No, okay. even when I die, my my butt is clenched. I guess it's where the ad reel rolls in. Hi, this is an ad. All right, back to you guys. Okay, so we were on the topic of clenching asses. No, actually, not 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 not. We were on the topic. Let's jump into it so that when when we cut it, you know, it doesn't sound like you went away. Okay, so you mentioned that um um you when you when you play FPS games and your chat is on your second monitor, mm-hmm. you kind of you you have to glance at it and then you have to look back. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is um why why do you feel like you need to multitask i don't know, i i feel like it's mannerism to an extent because right. they they are talking to me and it's right. rude if you leave them hanging but at the same time i also understand that it's completely fine to ignore them for the duration of when i'm in a gunfight i think it's because you're people you know yeah so if so, it was like people you don't know, yeah, like it's like, like fuck it, guys, you guys. <laughs> I will chill. answer you tomorrow. Yeah, you you chill the fuck out. <laughs> it's my stream, right? But but if it's people, because I, I'm so used to streaming on Discord to like friends, right? Right. And right. and I like that banter you have as you're playing. I don't have right. to read chat. I can just respond right. to your vocal like like your questions as you right. are speaking to me. So right. so I think I kind of adopted that thinking to uh to Twitch. Right. So when um, people are when 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 people are typing and and you can see chat building up and up like I have right. to respond to that. And Um I'll tell you an interesting oh, sorry I yeah, think yeah, we're no, done. No no. Yeah yeah no go go go. go. Your pauses are long man. I know. <laughs> it's it it shows that I'm thinking. True. <laughs> True. Um I remember um one of my one of my recent streams, I think two or three streams ago, uh Kev was watching me. I was playing Apex with uh, I was playing Apex with the boys and Kev was watching me. And um I mean he was watching me, right? And it was a very intense moment in Apex. We were we, we killed a squad and then we were about to get third partied, so we ran. Mm-hmm. Right? We ran and we we found another squad, but they weren't close enough for us to get into a fight, right? So we were just trying to position ourselves. And in that moment, Kev asked me, Afik, you mentioned you had a marketing background. Can you explain that? <laughs> right? And... You know, I took it. I took it as a challenge. I was like, "Okay, I'm playing Apex." Um, he's asking me about my own history, so there shouldn't be much thought to it, right? It, yeah. I'm just talking about what I've been through, and so I, so I did it. I, I, I answered it, right? And then, um, and then I was talking about how I started as a, uh, I started working in an advertising agency, and then I kind of moved and 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 mm-hmm. created my own, mm-hmm. and then. When I when I was done answering, I was in combat, like okay. with the with with that same squad. Right, it was intense. They had a seer, 
They had um, a Pathfinder. So this guy was freaking swinging around and shit. And the seer was like shooting his like beams like. Okay. And I look at chat and I see Kevin's question. It's Kevin's follow-up question. Kevin's follow-up question says. Um, was it difficult for you to make the decision to go out on your own? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, these are it's, so that question okay, had to make me think. I'm gonna help you out here and tell and 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 explain on your behalf that those are not bad questions. Those are very good questions, and that's the yeah. problem. No, no, no. Those are very good questions, and it's not bad. The only thing bad about it is the timing. The timing, exactly. Yeah, the timing. And but I but I I answered it anyways. Um, I answered it anyways, and I got five kills from that. Congratulations. Weird flex. Weird Con- flex. Congratulations. I. But uh, after that, after that, I asked him. Uh, after that, I kind of I I mentioned it very swiftly. I said. Kev, it's funny that you're asking me these very serious questions while I'm in combat in Apex. And then he says, maybe it's test. <laughs> yeah, like like if, if it was me, I would just completely ignore the question and just come back again when I die. Right. Yeah. Like, I've, right. okay, like to, to be very honest with you, I've been very out of it lately. It's, it's, it's yep. not just streaming. It's, it's a lot of personals, a lot of work stuff. But... Yep. I do miss t- boosting up my my o- OBS, going to Twitch streaming for like that that two people who just watch me game. Yeah, because it's fun, right? Yeah, because recently I've been playing a lot of uh, Pokemon Unite. Unite, and yeah. and it's such a good game to stream. Like like it's such an amazing game to stream. I hear you, but I just don't Why? feel like like I just don't feel like. You want to go through all that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. Maybe, maybe in a couple of days, maybe in a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. But I really do want to. Maybe in a couple of years. Maybe in a couple of years, you know. (laughs) Maybe when streaming is a thing of the past, I'm like, you know what? It's time for me to go back and check it out. Yeah, what I've what I realized, what I've realized is, um, it's like going to the gym. The most important, the most difficult part is showing up. That kind of stuff. For me, for me. Not yeah. for you. No, I mean, no, no, no. It's like, fair. Like, it's completely justifiable to put it that way. And and I don't yeah. think you can find another example to actually explain. Yeah. It's like gym. The hardest part is showing up. Yeah. Like, because once, for, you're, once you're live, hmm. shit just goes. You know, it just... Yeah. But having to tell yourself that you want to go live and kind of expecting or... Per- projecting is the better word projecting the amount of energy that you need to output for the entire stream just thinking about that is tiring because i feel like i'm in this discord trap where i'm comfortable streaming to like that three people who can speak to me right yeah but as of late i think kev has been giving me secret training so right i i know whenever i play pokemon unite at night around 9 30 10 10 30 ish p.m yeah. kev's gonna be on kev's gonna be on right yeah and when he's on he's actually watching my gameplay in his office mm-hmm. so he can't speak he could only chat like 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 yeah. type his questions yeah and i feel like he's pushing me back to the whole issues i i have with twitch 
So I'll be gaming and I'll just be responding to you Kev alone. You need to read Discord yeah. chat. Yeah, on Discord. Because we do have a channel called Chat Only. Yeah. And, and if you click yeah. on it, if you click on it and, and you just scroll up, it's all just Kevin. It's just Kev. It's, yep. it's all just Kev, right? And... It, maybe we should change it to Kev only. Kev only, right? Like Kev <laughs> only stream. So, so, I don't know why, but that's comfortable for me. Right. Right. Yeah, so, so, yeah, I, so it's, it's comfortable on Discord, but it's not comfortable on Twitch. And I think it's also, it's also because, correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm just, um, I'm just assuming, uh, because these are things that I feel from time to time too. Um, just the fact that when you're on Twitch, you're kind of accessible to everybody who has a Twitch account, whether mm-hmm. you know them or not, mm-hmm. is a little intimidating. And, yes. and the fear... Not, not the fear. Fear is a strong word. The worry of fucking up on stream is is real. Yeah, knowing me, um, right? <laughs> well, for everybody, even for me, like I feel like I sometimes I take 15, 20 minutes before I start a stream to really, really think about whether I want to start streaming tonight. Yep. And part of that comes from me feeling like I don't want to. I don't. I feel like I'm about. I feel like I'm gonna fuck up the stream tonight. I feel like I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be at the same level of energy that I was in my stream yesterday, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And because of that, I just feel like I maybe I don't want to do it. So I'm assuming that that emotion or that sensation, that thought crosses your mind every time you think about whether you want to stream or not. Is that true I, or is I, that I, false? I haven't actually thought about that in, in that way per se. Right. But yeah, it does get a bit intimidating. It, it really does get intimidating dating when when you have like random people coming to your stream and then they just come in with like a couple of lines and and be like hey what game is this and then you're just be right. like answering yourself not knowing that if they're still there yep yeah so like i i feel like i have to care less i i feel like i have to right. care less on stream like right it is what it is they they come they come they don't they don't yep right and and uh to bring the conversation back to um the topic at hand today which is talking about our favorite streamers i'm gonna bring up tim the tatman again mm-hmm. and what i noticed about him is he has the same level of energy every single time he goes live right yeah it, that, it, it's that... as if it doesn't matter what's happening in his life he just has the same level level of energy and that is called professionalism and at his level that level of professionalism is important because mm-hmm. he's getting paid to do it yep. and not just from subscribers it's not just his viewers paying him through subscribing his, his he's got sponsors well. yeah he's got responsibilities he's got sponsors he's got you know people paying him to stream because he it might be a hashtag ad stream yep. it might be a game that is completely sponsored yep. um so at that level it's it takes a certain level of professionalism and i think when you're task with carrying that responsibility you kind of have to push through it's like showing up to work every day yep. you could have the worst night of your life the night before on a fucking sunday night you have to drop and then monday morning you have to fucking go to work act like nothing happens yep you know and people who can do that on and still try to entertain people i think that's, Dude, that's crazy that's, cracked that's, that's amazing a very, that's a very impressive skill like to me, it is. that is a very impressive skill. Man. It's amazing, man. It's amazing what people can do when, you know, Money when, is when, when f- sure, that's one of it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree. 
Yeah. Money could make you want to, you know, drop yeah. everything, drop every bad thing that yeah. happened to you. But if you, if on you, top of that, I think it's also it's also got to do with um with purpose. If you pay like me you, enough money, I will just wear a maid costume yeah. and just start my stream. <laughs> just saying. I okay. I agree with that. I agree. Money, money does, money does help in that. Mm. But um, for the sake of our viewers, our listeners, who, who come here for solid advice, although we give so few, <laughs> who come here for solid advice, um, with everything that you do, um, there is one thing that is more important than everything else, and. If you can guess, it starts with a P. If you can guess it, Kel, what is it? Starts with a P. I was about to say yeah. having fun. Fun don't start with well, a P. <laughs> oh, unless unless you spell it as P H E U N, but um, that that sounds more Vietnamese and <laughs> having fun. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, it starts with a P. I mean, having fu- having fun is important. Right, having fun is important. Making money is important, but there's one thing that's more important than everything else: being professional. No, it's mm. purpose, man. Shit, that's deep. You have to have a purpose. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what you do. What you know, streaming on Twitch to one viewer feels like it's a small thing to do. Oh right? no, no shit, man. But it's but but it's not if you look at it from the perspective of. I've never streamed before. Mm-hmm. I would like to go on Twitch and stream. I've got a friend who wants to watch me. As the person who's streaming, it doesn't feel like the smallest thing in the world. Right? Because it takes courage. It takes a thought process. And it takes a purpose. You, you had a purpose. You want you wanted, you wanted to entertain people. Yeah. And when you have that purpose, you always have something to fall back on. You know, no matter what happens, you have to wake up tomorrow and you have to stream. Because you have a purpose. And your purpose is to provide value to your community, whether it's one person, whether it's two people, whether it's five, 10, 15, 20, yep. 100, or like Tim the Tatman, 3.1, 6.4 million. That's how many followers he has. And at any given level, one thing stays the same. You might stop having fun. You might make more money than you started, but the, your purpose is still the same. I and com- that's, I completely agree with you, man. And that is what I see in my favorite streamer. That's what I see in Tim the Tatman that I don't see in people like Shroud. I don't see Shroud trying to build his community. I I feel like Shroud is already in a level of his own. Like, like he is well known in the FPS community to being the godlike aimbot streamer guy that was that, yep. that, that used to be a part of Cloud9 Cloud for example yep. yep and to an extent I, I believe that he knows that as well yep and he just don't give a fuck about what he does anymore because he yep. he's so when you go he's into huge. his when, when you go into his stream you can tell that he stopped trying a while ago yep. and, and, and he's just playing for the sake of playing at times like, you can tell that most when he's playing a new game. Yep. You you get what I mean? Like you you can. I I I I'm just speculating here. You can just tell that he's being paid to play the game. Yeah, I'm gonna right. say something controversial right now. Okay. 
Um, and I'm sorry if um, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a Shroud fan. I am a Shroud fan. I I enjoy watching his stream sometimes. Don't get me wrong, guys. But um, Shroud feels like a billboard to me. You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, 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 I mean, and, and, you know, if he wants to do that, that's fair. I'm not saying that that's a wrong thing to do. Some people might, might, um, might appreciate that. Some people might be okay with that. And I'm not, I don't hate it. I'm just, I'm just stating an observation. I feel like Shroud is a living billboard because he has a lot of viewers and he has a lot of followers. Yep that it makes sense for games to pay him to play something. And granted, even Tim the Tatman has those things. That's how you make money as a streamer or as a content creator. But that's all I'm seeing from Shroud. Yeah. He used to have a lot of fun with the games that he plays, but now it's like, you know. And and I, you can just tell by the way he streams, he, he's always so mon- like monotone. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, I really like the game. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like but that, then, you know? But then Tim the Tatman, for example, right? Let's just take Tim the Tatman. And even Lulu, for example, they are very yep. cartoonish. The, yep. the the way they express themselves. They're like, oh, what the fuck? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yep. Right? And yeah, I mean, like, if if you compare Shroud to, like, Tim the Tatman, it's, it's really day and night, in my opinion. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example of something that Tim does on his streams. Uh, he has the same format every day. He gets on... Um, he starts his stream. He takes 16 minutes to get on to get for him to appear on camera because his stream starting soon usually comes on for 16 to 18 minutes. It's always like that. Mm-hmm. I realize that. And then he spends an hour to an hour 45 at the beginning just talking to chat. He spends one hour to an hour 45 talking to chat. Granted, a lot of people do that because you know you wanna you wanna make people you wanna. You want to let the viewership grow first before mm-hmm. you start doing anything. You mm-hmm. so you don't start playing games. That's fine. That's a that's a that's a sound strategy that a lot of people do. But what he chooses to do in those in that one hour forty five really makes a difference, right? He reads donations for like an hour, um, and then he responds to chat. He actually sits there and he doesn't. He his just chatting screen is literally a is kind of like mine, a full frame like what you're seeing right now, a full yeah. frame of just his his camera and he's got like branding stuff and all that kind of like how I'm doing it for my Twitch. Um, but it's just that he's talking to chat. He's responding to people and then he does things that he tries to include everybody. What he does is, um, okay. So, so recently he started watching, um, he started getting his assistant whips, whips to, um, compile yeah kevin his name is kevin to compile um a bunch of tiktok food compilations okay and what he would do is he would watch them on stream with his chat and then he'll kind of talk to them and then the chat will be able to you know have conversations with him on what he's actually looking at on screen and he does this every day right and even when he gets into a game the first thing he would get into is Warzone, and what he would do is he would spectate solos that's kind of like his thing. Right, okay. And the okay. reason why he does that is because that video is also popping off on YouTube. Whenever he uploads Warzone uh, spectating spectating mm-hmm. Warzone solos videos, those videos get the most views for him, right? So it's a sound strategy by him. But when he's doing it live, he 
we know that he's not doing it for himself. I mean, he enjoys it, number one. Yep. But number two is he's doing it because he knows that he's a tool for entertainment for the people who's watching him. And he's a comedian. And he, he, he enjoys... He enjoys entertaining his community with humor. And then once he's done with all that, after two hour two hours into his stream, he starts playing a game. He starts either playing Warzone or he starts playing Apex with, you know, Nick Merckx and, and Cloak mm-hmm. and Cloak Z and all that. And that that's when he's really having fun. So that's the difference between someone like Tim and someone like Shroud. Tim is completely community driven. He's community based. And that's what I love about him. Yeah, because I, I can see because I'm I'm sad to say this, but I haven't watched your stream in a while, mainly because your your stream always starts during my bedtime. Yeah, I start late. Like when like I know you start streaming when I wake up because the you get the notification and I get a notification uh, on on my phone and on Discord <laughs> itself. I was like, "Fuck, I missed yeah. it again." Right. Dude, the thing is, like, I want to start early. But everybody that I play with gets on late. No, no. Like, I, I believe you're able to to do the same strat- strategy as Tim once you move, like, properly move into your new new space. Because yep. there, yes. there, there, there are a number of resp- personal responsibilities that you have to do yep. that will be lifted off your shoulders. And, yep. and that gives you more leeway to explore different games, for example. Like, like you can explore more single-player-driven games that you can just yep. chill and play while you wait for the boys to come in. Yeah, then start my stream earlier, right? Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, yeah, I have had that thought and I appreciate that you validate that thought because yeah. that'd be pretty cool if I could like come on at, you know, 8 or 9 p.m. No, like, like if you could come on at that time, I could join you too. Right. But but the fact that you but, always start yeah. when I have to go to bed. Yeah, to to, to bed, yeah. Yeah, I'll be like, oh man. Kel to bed. Yeah, not not only I can't play with you, I also can't watch you stream. Can't watch. You can yeah. only see it in the morning. Yeah, yeah you'll see, see the, the stream court notification yeah, in the morning. And and I'm the type I, I made it very clear to Kev that I hate watching VODs. I hate right. watching VODs where I want to You're, be a part of the conversation. Look here. Here's why I think you're a you're you're a, you're a funny guy, who's weird sometimes. Ke- Dude, Kel- I'm, I'm I'm always weird. You don't like to watch vods because you like to be in the conversation, but you also you also um very much enjoy more than watching Twitch when you watch YouTube highlights. Where you're still not part of the conversation. <laughs> okay, this is this is where I justify myself. Okay, okay. Watching okay, YouTube highlights, watching YouTube highlights of like ACU Shroud, Candy, right. Lulu is completely fine. I right. don't know. I don't know them. And if oh, I okay. and if I chat on their chat, dude, there's like twenty thousand people. Yeah, trying to get the attention. Yeah. Who the fuck is hey? It's Cal yeah, again, yeah, yeah. right? But if it's friends of mine, like 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 if right. it's you, if it's Siren, right. if it's Kev, if it's Kush, for example, you better fucking acknowledge me when I'm in your chat. Yep, yep, yep. Right? Because I know yep, where you yep. live. <laughs> <laughs> so so if if I can be a part of the conversation when you're alive, I I would appreciate that. But right. when but when it. if yep. it's a vod, it's like, dude, I can just talk to you. I can drag you to Discord and I can talk to you. I I don't want to watch what has already happened. Right, 
I get it. And then you're not part of the conversation. Yeah. And And then you hear, you hear, you know, either me, Kev or Siren say something and you have an answer to it, but you can't really say anything because it's not live. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So guys, I think that's all the time we have for you guys. Uh, This has been a very interesting conversation. Uh, Again, uh, I'm not going to apologize for having an unscripted conversation because I believe yeah. that's where me and Afik really strive in. Yeah, fuck it. Um, we we kind of developed this friendship. Uh, I, I forgot who was the one uh, that that asked if we are childhood friends, and I really appreciate the comment. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to uh, Krista Goon. Yeah, from w- Woman's Womanpreneur Womanpreneur Asia. Asia podcast. Uh yeah, she 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 commented that uh are we childhood friends and yeah I I really appreciate that comment from her, but this episode has been quite eye eye opening. Uh, we we talked about or we shared our favorite streamers. We shared our, our pros and cons of our personal experience in streaming, mm-hmm. and and we also kind of somewhat broke down what makes the streamer we like entertaining. Right. Exactly. Uh, just just now, quick... if everyone, if anyone ever asks me, oh, who's your who who's your favorite streamer? I'm mean, gonna just link them, uh, and I say Tim the Tatman, and then they ask me what would you like about him. I'm gonna link them this episode. Yeah. For, I'm for... like you, you want here you go. Listen uh, to this episode. This is why it's a long explanation. I'm not I'm not gonna tell you now. You listen to this episode. Afik's top one streamer is Tim the Tatman. Do Do you have a number two? Kevin Schmidt. Yeah. For my top one is Candy Roo and Kevin is definitely really up there. Like I I enjoyed his series of uh, Resident Evil. I like seeing him struggle. I like seeing him (laughs) complain. And and you can actually see him. You're a sadist, man. You're sadistic. That's what you are. You can actually hear him struggle, man. Right. And yeah, that's all the time we have for you guys. Uh, as usual, my name is Kelvin Tay. And I'm Afik K. And you're listening to the Epic Arcade Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at Epic Arcade Pod. Or you can just shoot us a DM. Who's your favorite streamer, right? What do you like about them? Do you even like us? Have you watched us stream? Yeah. Talk to us at Epic Arcade Pod. Shoot us a DM on Instagram. That's where we're most active. And yeah. Have if a you want to catch me live, on Twitch, it's twitch.tv slash retro ripples. Retro ripples. That is R E T R O R I P P L E S. P P P P. Alright, guys, we'll catch you on the next one. That wraps up another episode of the Epic Arcade podcast. Epic Arcade is made possible by the Renegade Radio Network. And for more Malaysian made podcasts like this one, check out www.rngdr.com. My name's Siren Calera, and you can find more of me at twitch.tv slash Siren Calera. That's C A L E R A. Game over. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review.
Lately, my family has gotten a little behind on our doctor visits, but this year, that's changing. We're making health a priority with Emory Healthcare. My husband got the knee replacement he's been putting off. My mom is getting a heart procedure that Emory pioneered, and I scheduled my annual mammogram. And with so many virtual visit options, we are getting it done in 21. Make your health a priority at emoryhealthcare.org slash healthfirst. I'd like to taste a real Italian coffee, please. What is the real Italian coffee? Espresso. You mean black coffee? In a capsule? Cappuccino. Ah, the real Italian coffee. Yes, Lavazza. Enjoy an authentic taste of Italy with every sip. From the rich and full-bodied flavor of Lavazza Classico to the finest varieties of Arabica beans of Lavazza Qualità Oro. Lavazza, more than Italian. Presenting sponsor of the Italian Contemporary Film Festival. We slow down, she know I'm going in now, I live a rock star lifestyle. Mama told me slow down, she know I'm going in now, I live a rock star lifestyle. Nevertheless, I remain the truth, got BBS on my chain of pool, can't settle for less, make major moves, I broke them all, but I made the rules, go to war with the stars and the beta suit, every shot I took straight 80 proof, it's right here what I made to do, I put it all on the page and I break I mean, I'm, I'm recording now, if you want to give us your Z impersonation one more time. Hello, I am Z, the old man, and I'm here to tell you about my Keyforge adventures. Weird story, he's number one in the world, I don't know if anybody's told you that. Well, when you say he, you're referring to me. Yes, yes, of course. I am, I have been around so long, I just keep growing more gray hair, because there's no OP support, so I am just the forever champion of Keyforge. I am immortal. Which is funny, because Z Z has so little hair. Uh. I think the funny part is, Ewok and I both might be older than Z. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. But what's going on, everybody? Uh, another Archon's Corner. Uh, you heard Big Z. He is the ancient one. Um, Big <laughs> Z or whatever. I don't really know. That was spot on. That was real good. Um, but now I'm on? so tired. I must take a break and rest for this week. Back I'll see you next week. <laughs> Go play Heart of the Forest and just kind of hang out. Um, but we got JR. What's up, JR? Hello, Keyforge community. Great to be back. We got Sheep. Yeah, I'm here. He's here. And uh, filling in for Z this week, um, a Z of a different sort, a Drazzy. That's horrible. Drazcore. What's up, Drazcore? Hey, guys. How did we get to say that one? That was really awful. There, I don't know. I think we could call him Zcore now. Zcore. Z-core. Oh, gosh. It's like an accent or something. I don't know. I like it's it. strange. Zcore. That sounds like a drug that they just yeah. gave me for this itch that I have. Yeah, or just or something. Weird story. But it's been another week of Key Forge. We had Oubliette this weekend. Um, Am I reading this right in the show notes? Z, um, Z. I just said Z. My God, sheep! You were the winner. I did win a thing. So tell uh, us why you suck at KeyForge, then. I suck at KeyForge because I use other people's ridiculously <laughs> overpowered decks <laughs> to win in a format that was designed to not be filled full of ridiculous overpowered decks. But that's what we do as the Keyforge community. In the competitive nature, we have a number of people, uh, 
sheep um and others who will who will always who will always try to break i mean that's part of being a gamer is that you try and break the format which is both good and bad um but this is the forever question can normal gamers go ahead if you get one deck or 10 decks or 50 decks can you compete against people who have the larger collection or access to team collections and i think some of those amazing ridiculously overpowered decks uh, do very well in certain formats. So it was a new format. It was a lot of fun. But tell us a little bit about it. That's you, Dan. Sorry, my printer was also running in the background here, so I tried to mute myself. If 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 you're unaware, Dan is also shipping decks to you right now. So if you are yes. expecting a, a deck from Dan, he is shipping it today. Well, actually, every listener currently is being is expecting a deck from Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yep, right now. And, and if you, you notice, who are listening you. right now, which oh, would be oh. at 929 p.m. CST on 9921. Any other time, uh, you can't have anything. And yep, if so. you get the wrong decks, know that it was just shipped out in error yep. there. So totally at random. Uh, it's going to be some Ollie's AOA trash. Oh, nice. Anyways, we'll get to we'll that later. In a little bit. Okay, so the Oubliette format was uh, you brought two decks and you chose a house to ban. So that means when your opponent looked at the two decks they brought, they couldn't play a deck with whatever house you said they're not allowed to play. Okay, and if you... And obviously you can't have that house either. So your opponent gets to choose a house and, you know, you can't play it. So if you for some reason, which somebody did do, bring two decks that both had Sanctum in them, and your opponent picked Sanctum as their band. Both your decks would be eliminated, and you would just auto-lose that round. But the so person the who brought quest. double Sanctum didn't lose because no one wanted to ban Sanctum. Right? I was going to say, did anybody actually ban Sanctum? Is that a list we could find somewhere? It probably exists, right? The, they were submitted. I don't know, we have to bring back uh, Z, right, to, to, to know this. I think he... he oh, boy. He yeah, I've, I don't know. But <laughs> Sheep, what did you ban? My guess... Hold on. I want to guess. Um, I'm going to guess you banned Dis. And I'm sure Sheep is, is muted over there. I was actually planning on playing in the events. I did quite a bit of testing for it. Um, for me, in my setup, I think that banning Dis was the correct choice for mine. Um, there was a choice to go actually a really hot logo stack and a really, really hot top tier uh, disc deck. And those I figured would be the top two bands, Logos or Dis. Um, I, I do think that my other choice of, you know, playing my logo stack and then a nice, very, 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 I'd call it B plus deck um, that didn't have Dis was where I could do with just my deck selection. Um, but there were some really interesting choices watching some of the AC locals, uh, some of the AC regulars go ahead and talk it through. Um, there were some there were some different strategies, which is why I did like the Oubliette. Um, so didn't what what were the st- I, I guess my question is because in, in my mind. OK, and I'm a very narrow minded person. So help me out because I'm I'm dumb. I hit stick with rock, uh, drag knuckles, all that jazz. <laughs> In my mind, there's only two houses that I would ban. That is Dis or Logos. Correct. Like, and that's and that's it. Like I have no reason to ban any other house. The only other house I would possibly ban is Shadows because I just do not want to play against too much to protect. So so here here's the thing though. As you start as I as I was going through the testing, you cannot repeat or I didn't see it as a logical choice to go ahead and repeat a deck because someone bans it and then you're just out. 
I mean, you, you get you take an auto loss. However, what it plays to is you have a certain play style. With this being out, now the Infernus meta is not there. You also have impact on cards for bounce. Um, and so being able to strike dinos actually, you know, your ability, what you are bringing to play has to be thought about as well. Um, cheap, I know one of the two decks that he had was Pink Fraud. Um, so being able to see you that dirty man, you, yeah, I mean, you, you but, brought but, pink fraud. <laughs> I, I dirty dogged it all the way. That is, <laughs> oh, you are a bad person. So Why don't you wh- just bring a heart neck. So what? What were the three? What are the three houses on on uh, pink fraud for all those who aren't following along at home and haven't heard it? And then what was your other deck? Uh, so I played pink fraud, and the other one was called Q Fink. Something, something. So, in truth, I brought two decks. I only played Fraud the whole time. Mm. I never had to play the other deck. And what were the three houses on Fraud again? I was just going to ask. I don't remember. I know Mars is one, right? It definitely has Mars, has Logos, and has Shadows. So, nobody was able to ban Logos there? Nobody banned logos. Oh, nobody, nobody, you play. That is correct. So yeah. there are stats. Um, three people banned logos. Three people banned Mars, and four people banned shadows. The top That's ones right. were yes. Dis and On Tame. Where both of those pulled nine. Hmm. hmm. Who's afraid of Untamed? Uh, untamed burst, you have it. I yeah, first, yeah. but so, you, you so uh, go ahead. The, the strategy most people seem to end up going with is they found their two best decks that didn't have house overlap, right? So you find your two best decks without house overlap, and then from the houses that are left, you ban whatever is best of what is left. So a lot of people brought exactly what you're saying, one disc deck and one logo stack, expecting those to be the two most common bands. Uh-huh. Right. And then um, the there's actually, there's five of us that band soaring. Cause that's kind of where I was. Um, Cause I had a disc house. I had logos. I had untamed, right. Which are three of the most likely to be banned houses because they have the, strongest play styles right um i know the the disband really makes a lot of sense because like uh friend of the show joker who did very well until he was 3-0 i think when he met up with me on pink fraud and he was playing a 26 pipped amber pipped dt deck that was like a 60 some sass deck and was doing very well with his choices because he banned dis so they couldn't Infernus meta his deck to death, but he couldn't compete with the ridiculous draw potential that Fight had, right? And the deck did just fire and just, you know, like he said, hey, thanks for coming and playing solo against me, which is basically what I did, <laughs> right? That is kind of what fraud does often is it just kind of plays its own game and wins on turn seven and it says yeah, thanks for coming to the table. It just wins, yeah. Yeah. Well, but um, that's when I was going through and doing deck testing for it, because, um, again, this was something I'd set up with the wife, hey, I'm playing. I, I had this set up to go. Um, there was a need from someone from church to be able to move out. There is some situation. And again, you help. That's what we do in the community. So I don't I don't 
I don't go ahead and question my choice. I was bummed. So I cheered you on from the sideline. I did, you know, say a few words because you're playing fraud, sheep, but um, I was also cheering on Joker and the others who are, who are there. I think Joker, Joker's decks were very powerful, the deck choice. But when I was running through it, Untamed had huge burst potential because of DT and because of Coda. And so both of those were issues. Um, the other piece that I consistently saw was Jenka that was coming from Mars and the ability mm-hmm. to just key cheat with it. Um, and so that's where you have to start thinking is, okay, what can I do? But not everyone – like Mars is just such a low pick in my mind to be able to block it because you're not hitting enough people. Um, so it, well, it, I think it wasn't, a, it wasn't I, a logical choice. I was uh, – I actually wasn't able to make the event, but it, as I was um, – thinking about, hey, if I could make it, what should I ban? It did cross my mind to to ban Mars in that, that sort of like double think, like everybody's going to be expecting, yeah. uh, you know, the bans on Logos and Dis. So, you know, find that Jenka deck and bring that and, and you know, or your double Battlefleet key abduction, <laughs> pink fraud, and uh, bring that, right? And, you know, would that, would that be an interesting strategy? Um, obviously not that many people want that route. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we have stats on how many people actually brought Mars to the table, but, um, could, could be interesting. So Drasko, uh, when you're talking, there were 12 Mars decks in the field. Yeah. Okay. So when I, when I was running and again, this was just on TCO it was pretty open. I did state what was happening. And so there was a disadvantage because people knew what I was banning ahead of time. So they kind of played around that. Um, but in that regard, what I found was that I was honestly still better to bring my top logo stack and my top disc stack or my top logo stack. And I had an unfathomable, um, unfathomable untamed. And I don't even remember what the third house was in that DT. Um, and that those decks were a better choice for me. And then going ahead and hitting the Saurian than it was for me to go ahead and ban Mars. Um, I had outs against Inca as best you can. And that answer is, you know, with the rush, you're just going to rush and, and kind of go with it. Um, so they're just in those odds, looking at the matchups, you have to be able to make a decision. I know we always talk about being the meta. So I like that counter into like, I'm going to counter you before. Um, but it just, there aren't an, a lot of competitive Jenka decks that I saw as being played. Um, but the problem is when you get to the top, top c- competitive, it, it just gets ridiculous. See, for me, Mars would almost be fourth on the list, maybe fifth, but probably fourth because it's distant logo. So that's kind of like one A, one B. Doesn't really, I mean, I'd rather just not deal with Infernus and then deal with logos. So I guess dis logos would be my top two. Then Saurians because of their worlds collide, exile, yada, yada shenanigans. And then, yeah, then it's Genka. That's the next thing that comes to mind for me. That's just like, because Genka, again, Genka decks, they're kind of tough to play around. I don't know. I think if you, if you were worried about Mars and you, but you don't want to ban it because it's a bad choice, which when you look at the selection of decks people brought, it's a bad choice. Like Mm -hmm. Saurian was 28, Sanctum 28, Shadows 34, Untamed 30, Dis 31, Logos 37, Star Alliance 34. Like, those are going to get you the most action. 
Um, you know, That's March at 12 was a lot less. But I think if you brought one decent disc deck that included disruption with Infernus, and then your other deck had Untamed and Punk, like you can deal with most Jenka decks. Like they're, they're just... truthfully, it has been proven now over time that there are that that many good Jenka decks. But that's, that's, that's what I was, that's what I I was just... talking about, though, is that you have to be able to have, like, there just aren't enough top-tier competitive mm. Jenka. Oh. So you, you can go ahead and have Disruption that's there. You can also go ahead and straight-out rush it sometimes. I mean, I, I've gone ahead and lost with Jenka just because I've gotten outrushed. That... Almost every good Jenka deck also includes logos or dis mm-hmm. so banning either of those yeah. takes care of most martian yeah. generosity most of the decks. good ones anyway yeah the good ones like there are plenty of not as good ones out there that can win games but at this level i mean like if you don't you know like i think you're picking if you don't have huge c in your decks then you pick saurian right because you can't deal with ridiculous warded boards yep if you don't have good scaling amber, you might go untamed. And then if you just happen to not pick logos or dis in your two decks, those are always good choices because, you know, people's strong stuff has that. But I think the, the intent of this event, which like a Fred Joker, I think, really did a much better job going with the intent of this event, which is pick two decks, use the band to increase the strength of your decks. Mm-hmm. and go that way where the route i played was bring two ridiculous things and don't really care what your opponent was playing and it worked well until i hit uh Pac, who plays for united archons and uses a collection of decks that probably rivals what i have access to it's probably the one of the best collections in the game and he was playing this deck called olivier which in some ways feels a little bit like fraud in that it does a bunch of Battlefleet stuff to draw a bunch of cards, and then it does recurring key cheat stuff with um, Nature's Call Chota. And just, like, it can win on turn three, that deck can. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, you know, it just punched uh, it punched poor Pink Fraud right out of the water. And then I think the only... And then I met Pac again in the finals, and maybe the only thing that saved me is I said, oh, I should have changed my deck which I really think I should have played my other deck uh, against Olivier. When coming into the finals, I said, what the heck? I've only played Fraud all day, so I'm just going to play Fraud again and see if I can high roll. And he switched decks, maybe thinking I was going to do a switch as well. And it didn't pay out because we both had really kind of similar strategies. Both of us banned Saurians. We're playing the same kind of stuff. Um, so what you're saying is, don't be fancy with your play. Yeah, I never never yeah. be fancy. I mean, but we we overthink wow. we overthink it, and that's part of Keyforge. It's a paper rock scissors piece, so I like that. But yes, just sticking with your deck, kind of what's there, what its strength is, and play it out. I'm hearing we need a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, like I really like never wins. I really liked Oubliette for what it was. I think it is a great format to include. Not necessarily as giant collections, but as it turned out, I was the one of only two uh, players on my team to be able to make the event. So I had access to every ridiculous thing available to to me. 
And as you guys may have heard with uh, with Z-Core over there, the AC crew here has agreed to move over and help with the admin side of KFPL to the best of our abilities. So this was my last playing in a KFPL event for the foreseeable future. So I figured, why not bring the heat and try to go out with a bang? And that you did. Yep. Bring in a smoke. So I. But anyways, that. go ahead. I was going to say, talking about expanding our collection, um, we have a certain. I guess, what would we call them? A retailer? Is that what they are? They Ollie's? are yeah, a retailer. They have stores. Right? They sell things. So, yeah. yeah I mean, I guess <laughs> I didn't know if it was like a retail they're, shop. Yeah, they're an over, retail, overstock retailer, I think is what they're called. Okay. They buy other places overstock, super cheap, and sell it. So, it's kind of like a big lot, sort of, or yeah. even a odd job or one of these places. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think. What was it? Is it Builder Square that used to do it for building supplies? Yep. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of. I don't of the know if those thing. exist anymore, but <laughs> they, they were around. TJ so, Maxx, kind of in the same yeah, realm. TJ Maxx, Home Goods. Yeah, kind of it's it's one of those kinds of places. So they they buy stuff, and then they sell it super cheap. So they buy it on the super cheap. They sell it on the super cheap. But I think, um, JR, you, you have some of the big questions, and I, I think these are some good questions. So Ali's got all – it's just AOA that we know of, right? Yes, correct. So they got so, a bunch of AOA. Take yeah. it away, JR. So they, they went ahead and had um, just been following from uh, Discord, from being able to go ahead and see on Reddit. I know our own Lokiar from our uh, area. It was actually out in Ohio visiting family, I believe. And so there were some Ollie's that he was able to stop at. And if I did he actually re- visit family or did he just go to every Ollie's in the he state? He just went for I the think, AOA, yeah. baby. Yeah. That's the old. I'm giving him credit there. that he's going out to visit family. I know he has family there. I, I, and I know he is a family man. So I, I will say that for him. But he, he did hit quite a few Ollie's. He also left some behind, which we appreciate. Um, and so the idea was that starters, I want to say, were was that five bucks yeah it was five dollars for the two deck two player starter yep and then a full box of 12 uh archon decks was that 7.99 yeah and that that is just mind-blowing to be able to see and there were boxes upon boxes so you had a full case that was there and some of the different stores you can see pictures with multiple cases um so the first question we had is where did all of these decks come from yeah, these prices are actually really close to that. Um, right there at New Year's, there was that Canadian blowout of yep. AOA as well. Yeah, real brief, yeah. I, yeah, so very similar prices all in all. But yeah, where is it coming from? If did you guys a- have any ideas, I mean, I'm... Did a- AOA I, I really get to Excel? Was that ever in Target? Yeah, AOA decks were in Target at one point. Yep. So there is a potential that it's with, like, Excel or target or with that level of retailer and obviously they ain't moving it so they cut it loose super cheap which that's that's still so weird to me i I don't know maybe maybe this is just like my location but legitimately i can go and you can hear my daughter running around in the background it's late she's going to bed um you can like target walmart Kroger, all these places are like hard up for games, like hard up. Like there's a handful of magic there. There's no Pokemon, no Yu-Gi-Oh! Stores are now putting like 
their clearance masks over there just to fill the space because otherwise it's just an empty wall. So why are they not like, why is Walmart and targets and all this jazz not stocking up on this? I mean, they're hard up for any card game right now. Why not give it a shot? No, because they have even the ones I go to have other card games on clearance. Like, and then they. Their whole model, I think is to try to find the thing that's going to be a big seller for a long time. Right. So, so they will try something. Is it just turn it as fast as possible? Yeah. Like not even like if it's it stayed on the shelf for 15 days, that's far too long. You got to get it out of here. Her margins are are very thin, right? So they have uh, to move product. Don't they run a metric where it's sales per per like amount of space it takes? Yeah, it's usually square uh, sales per square foot. Yeah. Which is what we ran that at Home Depot. Well, let me tell you. The target by me, sales per square foot on Keyforge is, well, I would buy one deck every two months when I rolled in there, and <laughs> I was the only buys. one. Yeah. Yes. So, like, they're not going to put it back on the shelves. Like, and then when they look at their history with World's Clyde even, which is definitely a better selling set in general, but they had to clearance the crap out of all of that, too, to get rid of it. Well, and, and what happened early on is that it was before the release, and so it sold extremely quickly. I mean, you had it yeah. selling out, so, so people, yeah. were, people were looking for it, but I think they went off those numbers going ahead and reordering, saying, hey, we're getting good sales here, and then it released, and it was at full price, and nobody was buying it, so then it sat. I will tell you, I haven't seen any AOA or Worlds Collide at any of my targets uh, within the last, oh, I would say, three, four, five plus months. I haven't so, seen again, a single Again, that's so weird deck. because that space, so that Excel space is paid, like Excel pays money to Target to have that that space there or Walmart or Kroger or wherever you're at. They pay money. So it's it's basically, it's free money and then Target gives them a cut of whatever sells. Am I wrong on that? Like, that's how I thought the contract worked. Or my, I, yeah, I don't know that much about know. that part of the contract, but yeah, so Excel's definitely getting a cut. Target's definitely getting a cut. I know that at least I, the local ones to me, like Excel stocks itself themselves. Like, right, because they the, pay, I know for a fact they pay for that space. Like, that, that little, like, whatever that is, 20 feet, they pay X amount of dollars to have their product there. And then, you know, I think maybe it's a, you know, it might be like a VMI type thing um, where the vendor gets paid, you know, oh, this amount sold. So, you know, a check gets cut or whatever, you know, much higher level accounting than but what th- I could even talk about. But but think what we've talked about in the past, our typical KeyForge player um, it happens to be a little bit more family orientated maybe we have kids they're extremely thrifty at times most of the time i would argue that you have very thrifty keyforge players and so they're not just spending aimlessly with large amounts of money um you're looking at someone who might come in and get a deck here or there and a lot of those people are still very loyal to their friendly local game store um so if you're spending full cost, why do it at something like Target when you can go ahead and do it at a different location like your local game store? I, I, I don't I don't see it as being a great seller in a location like Target or um, Kroger or any of those facets. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not seeing the numbers that are there. Um, 
Uh, well, I, my, my, I don't my, think it. Like I think we all want and wish and hope and dream that Keyforge would be such a massive seller that it could could be there, but I don't think it needs to be no. to be a healthy game, right? There are so many healthy games uh, at your local game store that just don't have the sales volume to get into Target or whatever. But um, you know, every friendly local game store is always going to have you know that board game. I don't know. Power Grid, right? Like that thing's been around forever and people still buy it, but it's not like it's flying off the shelves at a crazy rate, but it still makes sense for them to stock it and sell it and whatnot. So, so I think, I, I don't think, I don't think we should, uh, like put all of our stock in. It's got to be that big, right? It just needs to be healthy enough to sell well at a, at a local friendly game store. I'm not but, saying it has to be that big. My, my thought is there's a company out there that's already paying money to put their stuff on the shelf like i i don't care what they sell like they can sell pink flowers right like it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a game but that's what excel does they're paying money for a spot and they're letting their spot get taken over by clearance items i mean i guess the contract could have changed too but they're letting their spot be taken over by clearance items why not post these items in the store at a discount instead of if, if it did come from excel Instead of selling it to Ollie's for pennies on the dollar, like you're already paying for a spot, put it out there, see what happens. You know what I mean? See, I haven't seen them going ahead and putting clearance items. I I see other items that are there. And I think like any retail store, you're going to put something that's selling that's going to go ahead and move on the shelf. This is also an assumption that it actually came from Excel. Yeah, this is true. And this, I mean, like, I don't know who else would have that large it, quantity. Yeah, would have that large of a quantity and clearance it outside of FFG Direct. It was Rudy. Um, um, <laughs> Alpha Investors. He's dump he's dumping a bunch of AOA into the market to try to lower its price. I yeah, I mean it seems lower. it it seems like a lot, but it's also not necessarily a ton. So, so then here's hmm. my next question, and maybe that's where we want to transition. There's a I'll, ton of starters. Oof. Yeah, a ton, yeah of, a, lot of a, a ton of starters. I know a number of people have been going ahead and packaging them up, trying to be able to give them away. I, you know, that's, that's a great piece. We appreciate it. But the question is, is the Ollie's deal is going ahead and putting it in a bargain basement discount for five bucks for a starter or eight bucks for 12 Archon decks, is that good for the game? I mean, we talked about it earlier. I am in agreement. No, I don't. I mean, that's that's not good for the game. So I, I have seen, and I have felt here with the crowd that there is in KeyForge that I interact with on a regular basis. To some extent, there is this. Don't buy much at all unless it's super ridiculous cheap, which ultimately doesn't support long-term purchase and sale because whoever's selling this stuff to you super cheap, somebody lost money on it somewhere, right? Which means they're not going to buy it again. And, you know, you're unlikely to see cheap sales again. Like, you know, healthy game sales means people are selling it at a profit. And these kinds of clearance prices are no good. Even all the cheap stuff coming out of Canada, like my understanding is that 
is coming from a distributor or something that closed. Although I don't know if there's any actual truth to that, but like that amount of newer product selling super cheap is not positive for the game. Cause that means, you know, somebody was, that means when the next set comes, they're not going to hardly buy any of it. Right. And we've already saw that that's already happened a few times with this game with Coda that then rolled into AOA, right? People, made orders based off of early Coda sales and Coda sold out. And then they got overstocked on Coda because when it finally came in, the game had already kind of lost a little bit of the luster because it was so long between print runs. And then AOA comes on and again. Fall is the season of gathering that brings us together with warmth and color. So whether it's a birthday, anniversary, or a special event, celebrate your friends and family with a gorgeous bouquet of roses from 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers makes it easy to brighten someone's day with 24 multicolored roses for just $39.99. To get 24 multicolored roses for just $39.99, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. I'd like to taste a real Italian coffee, please. What is the real Italian coffee? Espresso. You mean black coffee? In a capsule? Cappuccino. Ah, the real Italian coffee. Yes, Lavazza. Enjoy an authentic taste of Italy with every sip. From the rich and full-bodied flavor of Lavazza Classico to the finest varieties of Arabica beans of Lavazza Qualità Oro. Lavazza, more than Italian. Presenting sponsor of the Italian Contemporary Film Festival. Your AOA orders were put in before even that second print run coda shipped, so people got stuck on piles of both. And then they became super hesitant, and you started seeing most places only order enough to sell, right? Like, I order... I know I got three people who want a box and I will order one display for the counter instead of right. ordering a case, right? That that stopped. And then that's a significant reduction in upfront sales. And again, then like stores would run out of stock and they won't restock it because, you know, it's only a one box product now. See, like, it's strange because I've seen this like hills and valleys, like even just at my local, right? So, like, Coda, you couldn't get it in, couldn't get it in, couldn't get in, and then there was a second print run. Then there was AOA. And I don't think it took very long for a lot of people to realize AOA, yeah, it's a lot of fun, but it's not very competitive. That's because there were some podcasts out there just talking trash about it. Yeah, I don't know who the, I don't know what kind of show that would have been. Definitely not this yeah. one. We love... We love... Uh, yeah, they didn't have Clyde. quality co-hosts like Sheep and Ewok at that time to praise the awesomeness that is AOA. Yeah, I mean, you guys went out of us. Yeah, anyways, moving (laughs) along. Um, It didn't take long to find out that AOA just wasn't competitive. So when when one set's getting taken to the woodshed, and this is kind of the problem with each, with Keyforge as a whole, one of the big problems is that if you have a bad set, it really hurts because you're only releasing a set every six months. Um, so when one set's getting taken to the woodshed, um, people aren't going to play that set, meaning people aren't going to continue to buy that set because, well, it just clearly it's no good, right? People don't buy core 2021 for very long because it's mostly cards they already have and there's there's nothing really anything good in, new introduced. Oh, so we my shiny reverse foil birds of paradise full art 
that's flavored. I mean, really, that's that scratch it. and it's, sniff. Is that what they are now? Scratch yeah. and sniff. <laughs> they are scratch and sniff. You can smell the zoo on this birds of paradise. Can can we actually to. put that in as a request? Uh, FFG. Scratch, we would scratch like and scratch and sniff cards. I think that would be a phenomenal, phenomenal way to get some of our kids involved in this game and for all of us uh, to reminisce about scratch and sniff. Like the schnozberries like? taste like schnozberries. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. What do Brobnar like, smell does like? Does Brobnar smell like disappointment? Mm. Uh, no, that would be Sanctum. It smells like a mosh pit, I think. That's my guess. Yeah, I like that. But anyways, <laughs> you know, and then Worlds Collide came and we saw an uptick. And then Mass Mutation came and it was like, oh, I mean, for a while there, I had to wait because I couldn't. Mass Mutation was tough to find. And now there's Dark Tidings, which we've kind of gone down to the other end, and it's been a little tough. Because Dark Tidings isn't very good, but that's unfortunate because we had, you know, mm. Infernus, which makes Dark Tidings not good. Yada, yada, so on and so forth. So there's been like this roller coaster, right? And you with Keyforge, I've said it before, you cannot have bad sets. They all have to be bangers. Because if they're not, you have a problem. And then we, we saw that really with AOA. And now we have this flood of AOA into the market. And I don't know, like, is, for me, is um, is this going to get into the, anybody into the game? Maybe one or two people. You know, is it good for the game? It might get one or two people in. But, um, I mean, you know, there's things, you know, and, and not to knock. Is it Luke who does Project Reforge? Yeah. Yeah, not to knock it, but when you have to give stuff away to say, please come play with me, it's not a good look for the game. It's just not. Uh, I mean, uh, I, that's I, true I in every game. That. Even like, Magic has free Magic days where they yeah, give away like, Magic cards. And Where is this? I have never been given a free Magic <laughs> card in my life. Like, ever. You're just not going to the right things. I've um, been given free comic books. I mean, like I've they're been Garbo, free- like many things. But, like, oh, they have those starter, those, I know what you're talking about, those starter decks that you buy that the store buys, and then no, when you're like, I free want ones. Yeah. Or, yeah, okay. the, yeah, it's yes. like a half a deck or something like that. Yeah. I know what you're talking about now. So, but, to go ahead and look at this, is this good for the game? Honestly, I'm going to put myself out there that uh, the first sell-off of AOA, um, I believe it was AOA that came from 401 Games, um, when you had $20 boxes, that that really hurts to come back then and say, hey, I'm going to actually spend full retail. Because um, I was still trying to support my local game store at that point, spending $120 on a box. And you know, even to go ahead and get it at, at cost is a very, very different piece. And so you're trying to weigh all of those options. So I can see why a number of gamers are kind of hesitant to go, hey, why am I spending money on this when it's going to drop? I'll just wait. Um, but I don't think that that helps our game. I don't think that it helps unless we're taking those decks and being able to go ahead and, and you know, sealed, give them away. But that's just giving money away. And I don't see a lot of people doing that. I mean, right now what I'm seeing is people who are going to Ollie's already play Keyforge for the most part. They're buying a large quantity of this Keyforge. They're opening it up. They're taking the shards and they're hoping to be able to pull some of those iconic, uh, you know, combos, uh, you're hoping for that diamond in the rough. It's, it's for most of us, things. it's gambling, right? It's yes. just another form of gambling. It's just this, especially with the Ollie stuff, it's super low stakes, right? You throw away $8 and 
and you have nothing to show for it, but it was eight bucks. Yeah, but that right. really that you have really 12 hurts. chances what? to pull the next Sasha. 12 of them. <laughs> but, but but here here's the piece. I have no problem throwing $8 when that's less than what uh, Archon deck is just going into my local game store. But think about that impact on that local game store who when I need to go ahead and buy my box from them. They're selling it at 100 when it's coming out or 120. So that is where the loss is coming from because you're not moving money to them. You're just like, hey, here's eight bucks, but you're just going through and rattling it off. I, I don't I don't know. I, that's why I look at this. I don't think it's good for the game. Um, I wish that we can turn it into a positive and give some of the decks away. Um, I'm using like, it as positive is- that on the, on the yeah. flip side, people are putting it up on the secondary market and I have a chance to be able to chase some of the, you know, sets or cards or things that I'm potentially looking so for. The the older sets selling cheap, I don't think, is a huge crush to your local game store unless they're overstocked, which most are not now. Um, but like the mass mutation coming out that really hurt. cheap or if like Dark Tidings goes clearance soon, like that would be bad because there are stores who still have their original allotment of it maybe and like they're not making money and now like once people get it cheap it's hard to go back to paying for it like i happen to work with a store and we do have a very large quantity of full retail cost mass mutation boxes to move through which you know anybody who's worked with me knows i don't sell anywhere near full retail um yeah, but like the fact that there was just all this cheap stuff out of Canada makes it a lot harder to ask $80 for a mass mutation box when people were getting them for 30 to $50. Yeah, yeah, and I do think that this is part of the reason why coming out regularly with new sets is important, right? Because then it, right, it gives you that reason to go and buy before it's discounted right gives you that reason to pre-order something from your your lgs right like i i always make sure to to do that for for every new set pre-order some stuff you know pay you know close to msrp but um you know stores happy they know that i i i'm interested in the game um you know and, and when you know when in normal times, right, and depending on where you are as to how normal things may or may not be, but in normal times, right, in theory, they're also bringing folks in for, uh, for you know, archon events, sealed events, whatnot, and right, they can they can make money off that and they can move product through that. So, and, and we're not back there yet, so it's I don't know, it's a little hard to know exactly, um, exactly how much impact some of these some of these will have. Uh, these clearances will have on, on LGSs. Um, I don't know. My, you know, my brother did when I was like, Hey, I'm getting a bunch of these starters. He's like, Oh, buy one for me. I'll, you know, I'll pay you for it. So my brother who I has two decks to his name now has four decks to his name. <laughs> Cause I way back got him a pair and was like, we should play. And then he never super got into it, but because of the, you know, it was cheap. He's like, yeah, I'll buy it. I'll buy another pair. We'll play a couple games. So, who yeah, knows? I mean, Maybe are you gonna get? It. Are you gonna get a handful of people? Sure, you're you're gonna get some people that are like, oh, what's this? Pick it up, play the game, love the game, and then continue to play the game, right? And then they understand. Uh, 
I, I see most of these decks going into the hands of people who are already playing a ton. Yeah. Oh, for which, for which, sure. Which like, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, our our play group online here, like, was I think is responsible for buying at least seven hundred decks up. Shh! Don't tell. <laughs> Between always, the the people who that? I see who play with us uh, and what has been acquired, there has been a lot. Do you think we could go to Ollie's directly and be like, so what but, do you want for the whole so thing? So here, here's a thing, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, actually, 100% I think about that because I think I could have sold AOA boxes for $20 a box plus shipping relatively easily, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing is, right? like, if, if they're asking eight, that means they probably paid somewhere between, four, what, two. four and five? Yeah, two, four. yeah, two, not two, much. Two, two to four. So, Ollie's, if you're listening, what do you want for the whole pallet, man? Just, yeah. like let me know, and uh, we'll make a deal. M- maybe they bought a storage unit, <laughs> and yeah. it was just filled with I hear there was a ship that uh, got stuck in a canal. And yeah, maybe it was that, from that. that, that five, mm. no, I'm joking. <laughs> it was that. It was that long-awaited second print. I got some money. The more my concern about something being at a place like Ollie's is if I am already a board gamer and I've thought about picking up Keyforge and then I saw it at Ollie's on the ridiculous cheap clearance, that doesn't, I don't think that makes me say, oh, that must be a really good game. It's here for 99% off. Right? Like, that's not... And my number is totally wrong there. It's Well, conveniently cheap, that's not an issue because all of our key yeah, we're, players are grabbing them right away and no yeah. one's seeing them, so that's and not And not issue. only that, well, you're not It's not true because the starters at five bucks a piece aren't that great of a deal, and we know even yeah, there's uh, Loka Car left some behind. Yeah, I left some behind. I didn't buy all but, the starters. But, like, <sighs> that doesn't... That that isn't great for the game either. Like to see it. Oh, hey, that game's on clearance. Like when I'm at my store and I see Lightseekers is on clearance, I'm like, oh, that's definitely not a game to touch, right? And yeah, I so mean, it, yeah, you have to be someone a little more discerning. Like I have bought stuff off the clearance area of my FLGS, but like I knew exactly what it was and like had read about it. And was like, oh, yeah, like two years ago, that was a game I was interested in and just never got around to it. Now it's a good price. So, yeah, I'll play it. I guess there is that hope is that I don't think Keyforge has a bad name out there. So people mm-hmm. who know about it and see it that cheap go like, well, it could be good for a laugh. And then they're just going to buy it because, you know, like paying five or eight bucks or whatever, like and you play it once and you throw it away, you don't feel bad about your money. So it's okay from that regard and maybe they stick with it uh but it, somebody who was on the fence already looking for the next game to really spend money on i don't think it's great for it to be seen as a game that's on clearance all the time mm-hmm. yep yeah so that's fair i've gone ahead and seen a number of people playing like hey i got all these new decks from ollie's let's go ahead and play in tco let's open crack them open and play which is really cool but the question is what are you doing with all of your decks? Or if you were able to get Ollie's decks, because not all of us could do that, what would you do with them if you got a big, giant allotment of AOA? I'm, I'm trying a new plan. Go Being ahead. that I 
I'm thinking about buying a different house and moving, the Ollie's boxes I got are just going in a box and going into the storage pile, right? To be looked at sometime in the future. Yep, mine would go in the same box where all the other shit decks go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I had to get one more ribbon there before we ended this. Says the guy whose best deck is an AOA deck. <laughs> all right, Draz, uh, what would you do if be. you... Well, so I did. I got a few, right? Okay. So I got... Well, I bought six of the starters, right? And then gave one to my brother. So so I got... I have ten decks. And I'm going to play them. I'm going to play them all. So. so do you have a Ollie's nearby? Uh, yeah, that- not like super close, but like, you know, it's a little bit of a drive. It's like 40 minutes. Um, oh, 40 minutes. Yeah. There's another one. Yeah, we're in Wisconsin. Like- 40 minutes is commute to work. I was going to say 40, 40 minutes is from me to Dan. No, it's like, not, no. <laughs> a little further. So anyways, you and I will talk. I, I want you. I, I don't know what they have left, but uh, I, might ship, I might ship you some money. And this is Shut what up. we were Whoever talking about. Keyforge players. Give me some of that cheap AOA. Yeah. It's I so cheap. A, I can't. Uh, I can't. I can't. A, okay, uh, stop. So we were. We were talking to Grandpa Z about uh, this, and he said if he was at an Ollie's and he saw $8 display boxes, he would leave them behind. He is That's so how much he hates AOA. He is so full of beans, he knows he would be like, well, how many fit in a cart? And then he would buy them all. Like, come on. Eight. No, he would I know no, he, he wouldn't. Says he, he would leave yes, it. Yes, he would. No, he would not. He would 100% buy it. He'd be like, I might find one good deck out of 10,000. How much is the pallet? And then, like, he would 100% buy them. I don't care what Z says. Like, it's easy to say it. Like, he doesn't have an Ollie's anywhere close to him, from what he's told me. It's easy to say when they're thousands of miles away. But if they, if somebody came up to him and, like, all of a sudden he was like, $7 AOA boxes, eh, maybe I'll buy a few dozen. And he would. A hundred percent he would. There's no way he wouldn't. Oh, I will say that if, if I had decks, uh, Lucar did grab a few for me. So I, I'm hoping to actually pull some uh, Ganger Knot because I still have yet to pull a Ganger Knot. And I, I would love to have some Jenka because I still haven't pulled. So there's things that I'm searching for I think that would be fun. Um, that's really what I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to play the decks and have fun because that's what I like to do. Uh, I like to I mean, see what the decks can can go ahead and roll with. And how can you pass up eight bucks for twelve decks? Man, that is it, it, it's scary. But even even if like, I play them once and they're just, you know they're good or bad, I can shredder them or I can go ahead and give right. if it's great but you know not phenomenal top tier, I can go and give it to someone else and they can have a blast with it. So I was going to say, not, not only that, like, okay, let's put it this way. When you're at a certain point in your, uh, I'm going to just kind of, a weird thing, Keyforge career, all right, you just want to become a degenerate. And that's where I am. <laughs> so I am looking for Heart of the Forest. Like, no joke. Like, I'm just like, I'm playing Heart. Don't I, care. I, I will it. I will tell you, um, part of my my search is to grab Heart um, just because everyone else, like, I, I it should be burned. And I want to save all of our hearts so that they don't go to a burning pile. Um, so, again, you walk, I will burn your house too. down. If, if the heart concentration gets high enough, I, I will just burn your house down, I think. So, so send <laughs> all of your out, your decks are gone. Send all of your heart decks to Ewok. Uh, he will go ahead and secure them in a master vault so that they are safe and secure. Uh, send Listen, them I all can't... to Sheep, and he will secure them in his shredder. 
Listen, I can't wait for that day that me and Sheep are sitting across from each other at a vault tour somewhere, and I have to hand him my Archon card, and it's AOA, and the first thing he sees is Untamed Heart of the Forest. Like, I can't wait for that day. I'm super pumped about it. <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, if, if he never been more for it disappointed in you folks than I am right now. I mean, listen, no, I, I think I'm, there's I'm, more tools to deal with Heart now than there have Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll have a Reclaim by Nature, and I will laugh at your deck. Yeah, until I have that awesome Nepseed. Reclaimed by nature, nature purges it. Yeah, it purges. That's, purges. that's why I play a double heart deck, duh. <laughs> Send all your double heart decks, dude. Send all your double heart. I don't even care. I'll pay you 10 bucks a piece. Doesn't matter what they are. I'll send all your double heart decks to... All right. Uh, we all don't right. have a ton of time here, so we're going to actually skip, uh, skip into... Next week, um, actually, but as you're hearing this, maybe, I'm not sure. I might have to release this episode a little earlier than planned. Um, you will have the in-flight report from FFG. Um, so they kind of gave us an article today that's going to outline what that looks like. Um, on the 15th, which is next Wednesday, um, they're going to go into the in-flight report uh, and looking at uh, what's coming up for FFG. And then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, it looks like they're just they're Thursday and Friday. They're doing nothing but, oh no, it's two different ones: Lord of the Rings and then a Game of Thrones. And then Saturday is just going to be unfathomable big game, whatever that means. But so, um, so I'm are- I'm going to go ahead and throw something out here. It was a little disappointing um, with Gen Con. I always look forward to them talking specifically about Key Forge as a specific topic. So to not see it. That did bother me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and plead. FFG, you have a phenomenal game. You have so many options. I, I know that you're going to absolutely surprise us and wow us, and that's going to be coming in that in-flight games report. So I'm waiting for Wednesday, next Wednesday, to be able to see what is, what is offered up. I'm not sure if I'm off or not. I, was saying, I might be able to live stream it. Um, if I'm off, I don't know what time it's supposed to pop up. It's seven. It's seven p.m. Seven p.m. Yeah, seven. O'clock. We might uh, we might hang out in the uh, in the old AC Discord, and uh, maybe we'll live stream it and talk about it, and, uh, and then all of our dis- we can all groan disappointedly together. Yeah, uh, maybe we're completely surprised, and you know they've been working on things behind the scenes, and we're going to be absolutely wild. I really cross. I I'm there. Hope so. Because if I don't hear anything about Keyforge, I am going to be so depressed. Well, but I, I just. But I think that the community again continues to to pick up. One of the AMA questions and kind of filter that in. You know, what's the take on international scene at Keyforge? I think that we see a phenomenal scene that is right now over in the Nordic area. I think that going ahead and seeing it in Italy has a great presence. I think East Asia has a presence. I think that there are some absolutely phenomenal communities that are out there that are willing to go ahead and continue to push this game. Um, I I think that we have a phenomenal opportunity um, and it's just a matter of can FFG kind of do what it needs to and get out of our way so that we can continue to have fun. The the big difference between international and international us, number one is FFG because there is no FFG across the pond. I know it's, it's asthma, day. asthma day and the biggest difference between the Asian scene, the Nordic scene and the uh, European scene support. It's the big, it, it, it is the biggest difference. I mean, 
I know that Europe is getting support um, for even fan run events. And we saw them run events in, um, was that China? That was China, right? Yep. With the yeah, prize. China yeah. that had a prize wall and all these other things. So the big difference between them and us is the support. Um, obviously, we're, this we're not in a place where we can like open, 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 and other places are. So um, it's just different. But that that is the biggest thing. And like I said, I, I just I honestly hope like I will be so upset if I go on seven o'clock and they're just like, yep, new sets coming. Stay tuned. And that's all we get. Because I, I feel mean, like we've been well, super slighted. Just to us, you know. I'll, I'll be happy with anything. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with Jurassic <laughs> on that. Honestly, if they say a new set is coming and we're looking at returning to kind of that November um the November timeframe that would actually really, really make me happy. I'm not even joking. And, and I'm just looking for any, any information from fantasy flight right now. Um, it has been a little bit cold in my opinion. Um, but I, I think that anything will help us. Here's your next set here. Is not, what's happening. not, I'm not going to lie. I would be so disappointed. I, I would thoroughly be disappointed because it's okay. like, you haven't released anything on your web page since the release of Dark Tidings. Games that you're not even running anymore have gotten more articles than this one. And I'm going to cough, so hold on a second. <coughs> um, and I know you got new games coming out, and I know they need love too. But L5, uh, L5R is a game that you don't even make anymore. You do not run card tournaments or anything. You, you don't even make the game anymore. Yet you've still given those more love than you've given Keyforge. So, yeah, I'd be a little disappointed. Sheep, how about you? What would you feel? Are you muted? Never mind. Go ahead. I'm, I'm here. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's here something or doom and gloom like we've never seen before. Yeah, but I think the game that you're talking... Is that not a board game that's there? Yeah, that's the Unfathomable yeah. is a big yeah, board it's game. The, the Battlestar yeah, the Unfathomable is a board game. No, I'm even talking, looking at uh, Thursday's The Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth Spreading War. Because it that says gameplay a, preview. I, it's kind of a car... They did it on their um, YouTube. Okay. It's kind of a mix between a card and a board game, I yeah. guess. It's, it is a, it's cards, but... It's really strange. It, it's, again, it's it's very FFG if you get that meaning. But I, uh, I, but what I'm saying is I see that more as – I place that more as a board game. And so what they're going to do is push their new product and this is their new product. I follow it as more of a board game. And I think Fantasy Flight is well known for their board games. That's why you're seeing that. So, and, and I'm not saying don't push – I get it. The new product needs pimping, right? Like I understand that. But you have to give love to the product that is being supported by people. Yeah, like you, you have to, like you have to release an article. You, you have to announce. You have to do something. Like right now, you have to do anything. Because I feel like each day that goes by that we don't have a word announced is more and more people who like, like Sheep said, who are doom and gloom. And more and more people who are just like, listen, I'm out. 
Well, at least there's still cool community-supported events happening. Uh-huh. There's that Keyforge Live in Italy coming up. Yep. There's the real event in Kansas City okay. coming up. And then the Game Center, which used to be FFG Game Center, uh, they're doing a pop-up Gen Con, and on their thing, they're having, on uh, whatever it is, the 17th and 18th, they're going to be running Keyforge events there. Yep. So there are still community-supported events happening for this game. Uh, so hopefully FFG uh, comes out of the coma before long and supports some Keyforge. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, we're getting to our hour here. So we got uh, time for... Final thoughts. I was going to sneak an AMA question in here, but uh, I don't think we're going to have time. So we'll just move straight to final thoughts. JR, what you got? Hey, I, I put in what, what's your take on the international keyboard scene? We're good. Oh, that's true. That's true. You did. Yeah. We did. And, sneak and I think that's because we just have a handful left. We, we want to go ahead and splat these in for the AMA. Damn question. them hamburger Atlanteans and winning everything. <laughs> so so that would be your other one. Which non-US based Keyforge community team or group would you engage with more? So you, you want the hamburger Atlanteans? No, they kick my ass. I don't need to engage with them anymore. <laughs> I, I actually am part of the Discord for uh, the Nordic, and I, I I really enjoy being able to talk to guys, listen to some of the chatter, guys and girls. I mean, it's the community, so it's more of a euphemism for the plural. But I've had a blast uh, being there. Um, my final thoughts really fall in that keep playing Keyforge. I know that we're all at very, very different spots. If you can get out and play in real life, please do so. Support your local game store um, through this all. That's who we really need to be our ambassadors to say, hey, play this game. Um, they are the best way to introduce it to new players. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Hopefully you don't get uh, COVID with a new variant. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to play in real life again. All right, sheep. Yeah, play Keyforge. Right. Sweet. I'm actually, I'm, uh, it's the start of American football, and I got players on my fantasy team going. Okay. Right, like right now? Ball. I do like football. Yeah, like oh, Tampa Bay thought, is playing Cowboys I right now. I thought that started next week. I got my weeks all no. screwed up. So, um, Drazcar, which, or, I'm sorry, Zcar, what you got? <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, oh, thanks for having me on as a, as a guest. Happy, happy to, to jump on every so often. Uh, you know, check out my, my, uh, regular podcast. So KFPL. Whoa, Weekly. whoa, whoa. I didn't say you could pimp anything. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm just you kidding. can always pimp. We appreciate you joining us, especially at short notice. Yes. Promote. You're a good Z. <laughs> You're a much better Z than our own. All right. I'm not going that far. I'm not going that far. We love you. Uh, yeah, so. Thankfully, our Z doesn't have ears and can't listen to podcasts. Yeah, he doesn't listen. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Now we. Uh, so, so in our last episode that just came out, we had mentioned we we're, uh, you know, looking for a new uh, a new name for our podcast. We had some listeners send us in a bunch of ideas, so we're still trying to figure out what the right one is. So, um, you know, if you haven't if you haven't sent us an idea, Jupiter I an idea already, and you think you got something good, let us know, and uh, we're going to be picking something soon. I was just gonna say I don't know if Z owns a smartphone. His he might still have a flip phone. No, he certainly has a smartphone. I don't know about all that, but uh, <laughs> my votes for uh, Z Core and friend. <laughs> <laughs> Not, throwing it out there. We go with uh, Zupiter. 
Jupiter. Ooh, that's a good one too. Yeah, I like them. I like them all. But that's Cor- gonna do it for us. It'll be like a, it's just their bad relationship name. Yeah, hold, hold, like hold on. We, we got to do a better job. So we do have some, you know, spots that you can reach out and talk to us. Dragon Those would be. Yeah, oh, that's yep. awful. Yeah, you can uh, you can find us on Facebook at Archon's Corner. Again, all the Patreons, uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, patrons now get to listen to the show ad free. I know that was a big thing he asked for. It yes. is now here. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at Archon's Corner, YouTube also at Archon's Corner. So uh, pretty much Archon's Corner, and you'll find all our stuff. Just Google. Use the Google. Use the Google machine. And when in doubt, send your Heart of the Forest decks to Ewok Junior. That's right. But send your double Heart of the Forest decks to Wookie. Because <laughs> I I need to make Dan lose the little hair that he's got left. Oh no, I that's the other way around. Damn it, it's Jr. That doesn't have any hair. But you like Heart of the Forest, anyways. Am I gonna have to start a burn just, the burn the heart fund? You might, because I'm gonna buy up all them decks. Like I'm literally gonna go on DOK right now. And I'm find going Heart to GoFundMe right now. I'm gonna mm-hmm. start my burn the heart. Need nope, money to I'm buy heart. Find, I'm gonna find the ball. And be like, how much you want for that heart deck? Five bucks. Mine. So. That's going to do it for us this week, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening as we ramble on for a few minutes more here. We'll see y'all next week. With good Like, who would have thought, who would have known? I could see they in their feelings. I got here all alone. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm on the top. I'm on the throne. You can't see me with a pair of binoculars. I'm gone. And it's unfortunate you feel that way. But no matter how you feel, I'm going to still get paid. Yeah, yeah. I'm not consumed by the fortune of fame Cause I'm aware of the regret and all the torture it brings I'll just keep it moving, I know it's true in my heart Like the weed I play the beat and then all I do is get lost I'm thankful for life now cause I know it used to be hard If I make shit you relate to, I know I'm doing my part, Mark You can find me in the drop top bands with the profile from Come home to happiness when you adopt or foster a pet. Pets don't care if you've forgotten your social skills this past year. They just want your love. Pets are loyal best friends to come home to. Furry companions you're eager to hug. They offer unlimited snuggles and unconditional love. It's true. Pets make our lives better. And right now, with animal shelters under strain, they need your help. Make a life-saving difference. Open your heart and home to a pet. For a week or a lifetime, visit bestfriends.org. If you like to do this, or that, or even that, and you want to stay with it, Emory's got your back, or your shoulder, or your hip, or your knee. Our sports medicine specialists treat more world-class, professional, and college-level athletes than anyone else in the state. We'll treat you like a pro and get you back in play. That's the Emory difference. Make an appointment at emoryhealthcare.org sports. episode please leave us a review on itunes
My name is Rick Firestone. My name is Vince Bazelli. And my name is Ben Bugale. And you're listening to Pixel Project Radio. We are a video game podcast where we play through your favorite games and ours too, and then we talk about them. But sometimes, like today, we talk about other things. What are we talking about today? Music in video games and how the art of music has woven itself beautifully right into our hearts and into the creations that are video games that we've come to know and love and some video games that we've come to know and love because of music. This one really hits home for us, uh, gentlemen, and I think there's a really blatantly obvious reason why. Um, all of us have some sort of pedigree, <clears throat> whether fictional or otherwise, in music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we've all, uh, we're all academically trained musicians. Um, we all have or are currently doing music uh, as professionals, i.e. for money. Um, so that that's definitely going to color a lot of what we're talking about. Um, one thing that I did want to say at the forefront, though, is like um, we are going to delve into a little bit of the technology um, because that really goes hand in hand with video game music. Um, but we're not going to get super in depth. I don't I don't know about about you guys, um, but uh, we're not going to get super in depth in terms of how the technology actually works um, outside of just basic explanation. Yes. Yeah. We'll be talking a little bit about, you know, I don't want to say soundscapes, but we'll be talking about music, the atmosphere it creates. We'll be talking, I'm I'm guessing that we won't be able to help ourselves at least talking a little bit about how the theory impacts, the musical theory impacts what uh, the creators of the game, or rather what the composers and the creators of the game are going for. Um, there's a whole number of avenues and appendages we could kind of go off on, but yeah, we're, we all... We lack music here. <laughs> yeah, this is very much, um, we're musicians talking about music, and that's kind of where we're going to come from. But um, if it's okay with you guys, we got a lot of responses from our Instagram on this one. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to read through them. Um, and if you guys have any comments or want to kind of camp out on anything and talk about it as I go through, uh, feel free. Okay? Yes, sir. I might shout out aggressively if I don't like someone. I might just start shouting aggressively. So, Should we start with yours then? Because you submitted Epic Mickey and then followed up, please, dear God, no, don't, screw don't do you. it. Screw you. All I'm thinking is screw you, Texas Poon Tappa, the whole time. <laughs> just, that's, that's the only thing I'm thinking of when Ben is like, no, we're not doing Good it. God, no. It was a joke. I don't want to cover Epic Mickey at all. I've never played the game. I don't know what the soundtrack is. Moving on. Who's the next comment? <laughs> Uh, so the first one was our friends over at the um, WT Famicom podcast. I don't actually know how to say their name because I've only ever read it. Read it. I don't know if it's What the Famicom or WT Famicom. But anyway, they suggested Hotline Miami. Uh, that's a great one. I, I don't know about you guys. I'm pushing. I really want to do that one in 2022. It'd be cool. I've never played it myself. 
So what style of game is that? Like, what's the genre? What what are we expecting from the soundtrack and that? It's like 80 synth vaporwave soundtrack. Oh. Um, it's a top, it's a top down run and gun. Oh, twin stick shooter type deal. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Nice. Nice. Cool. That's in the same vein as, uh, oh, sorry, that's in the same vein as a game that I'm going to talk about later, so I'll reference that. I'm really happy you brought that up. Uh, the next one was from our friends at the Word Buzzed podcast. Uh, they said, Tony Hawk, Pro Sa- yeah. Tony Hawk Pro Skater series as a whole has some of the best music all time in video games. Can't argue with that one. I won't disagree. Yeah, that's, that's just a fact. It's not generally an original soundtrack, but it's extremely original. You know, it's not music written for the game necessarily, but good, goodness gracious. It's probably, like, when I say licensed music, I don't necessarily mean things like Bioshock that kind of reworked it, but I think it's one of the best licensed soundtracks in the game, because, like, to this day, if you played Tony Hawk, you know about Goldfinger, you know about NoFX and Less Than Jake. It's just, it's classic. I I love it so much. And Chadith Muska. <laughs> oh, that's your, that's your um, Tony Hawk main, right? You're a Chad Muska guy? Uh, Rune Gilfberg, actually. Oh, okay, I'm. A, I, I think we talked about this. I'm a Rodney Mullen man. Yeah, you are. You know what's Vince, funny about you, this? Do you, oh, what's oh, up? You were actually about to turn, but like I have never actually played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I'm leaving. Or any of them. I'm but leaving. But I, I will put on vods of like people playing the game because I love listening to the skateboard noises and the soundtrack. So that's a little fun fact about me. It's a good one. I mean, I, I would cover that on the show in a heartbeat. Um, I'm just gonna scoot us along just um for time's sake. Sure, uh, sure. We're gonna skip over both of Ben's. Um, our, our good friends at the side questing podcast. And by the way, folks, we're, we're shouting out a lot of podcasts. Um, please check them out. Um, we love them very much. They're, they're incredibly supportive of us. Um, I, I don't know about you guys. I've listened to at least one episode of each of these. A couple of them I've listened to more. Um, they're very good. But anyways, uh, side questing podcast shouted out Yoko Shimimura, who was the, comp- uh, she's the composer behind Kingdom Hearts, Ben. Uh, absolutely. I sent along uh, one of my audio samples uh, to potentially be used for this episode uh, because of the music that she composed. I mean, she did a wonderful job with the technology that was available in the early thousands. I mean, it's really, I find it to actually be rather stunning music, some of which was used in the Olympic opening ceremonies. And I don't know, Vince, if you know this, but um, or caught this or have even played Kingdom Hearts, but it was um, the first time I've ever heard a classical saxophone in video game music. No way. Where? In uh, Traverse Town. It's like your main hub world. Uh, mm-hmm. There's uh, The theme is played by classical saxophone. It is. Wow. That's it's, actually... it's not like Tim McAllister level of classical saxophone, but it's classical saxophone. Right. It's the only classical saxophone that ever gets heard. It's always the the, the subpar. No, no, no slights. I'm sure the composition is amazing. But... Oh, no. It's, it's a good composition, though it could be mistaken for an alto flute. It is, in fact... Oh, the, oh, okay. If it could be mistaken for an alto flute, then we're talking big leagues here. Oh, like yeah. That. Nice. Yeah, I've I've also heard it done on um, oboe d'amour or maybe English horn. Um, it sounds delightful. Our friend Luke the Archduke, that's one of your friends, right? Oh, that's one of my former piano students at Doolin. Yay. <laughs> he, he replies to a lot of our stuff. He suggested Mick Gordon, um, whose piano scores can be found in Doom. Um, did you teach him Doom when you were teaching him? I didn't. I, he, uh, only my piano lessons with him each week were, um, kind of doom laden, but not, uh, the game. <laughs> it's a joke. I, I did not, I was not, I was merciful to him and he was a good student and I, I miss him dearly. Uh, Mick Gordon also composed Prey 2017, which has like, if you're into like 80s synth bops, so good. 
Um, our friend Miller. Um, John Miller. Yay. Yes. There you go. Uh, he said Ace Combat Series. Uh, I don't know a damn thing about that. Do you, I do don't. You guys? Uh, I don't know a single thing about Ace Combat. No. I have a feeling I'm going to get a text message as soon as this episode drops, though. <laughs> Uh, our friend Jared Hess gave us two. Jared. Uh, he gave us Halo, and he gave us Super Mario Sunshine slash Super Mario sixty four Underwater. Yeah, Ben and I did a bunch of coverage on the on the Sunshine soundtrack in our episode, so we probably won't touch on it. But that go back and listen to that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. We like to talk about that very much. Absolutely, and Jared Hess, yeah. I'm sure, has an appreciation for Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater, as he himself is a skater uh he w- he rode the bus that i rode uh growing up and uh what what ooh, rick's making a very excited face what's up rick no i um i i browse the stories of the people that we follow um and jared's skate videos are really good yeah no he does a great job and he's he's a great kid not unlike luke i mean they're just a and john miller all of them are really wonderful people but um jared solid suggestions um we love the Mario series, basically any and all of them. They're kind of infallible. Yes, and if you want to see his cool skateboarding videos, Jared X Hess, um, just scooting right along too. Vince, I think you'll know this one. Our friends at the Main Quest podcast suggested Lena Rain um, doing the music for Celeste. Ah, what a great soundtrack. I actually did not put that on my list. See, like this, there's never ending because I don't even like that game. And I, well, okay, I have a love-hate, but, but... The, the soundtrack is balls. It's balls to the wall. Okay, I was going to say if it's balls, my dad once used uh, balls as a uh, term that as an expletive when he was trying to put up a Christmas tree once. So I mean, <laughs> if you're going to say it's balls, it's probably I've bad. heard someone say something was balls good before, and I think that's a, that's a, such a lovely compliment. I think that's great. Well, see, Ben's dad would use it as an expletive, but all Ben would hear is fraggle, raggle, 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 raggle. I was so young. Like a Charlie Brown character. That was, I want, I wonder, no, like a Christmas story, like the dad. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I wonder if we have any, like, young listeners that don't know that. But anyways, uh, two left. Our friend Kat, um, oh, God. Kat Lewis. Kat Lewis. That's it. Yes. I apologize. I, I had a blank. I was like, did she uh, take the last name of her husband, Aaron? Um, she suggested the Mass Effect soundtrack. Um, I've not actually played the Mass Effect series. I have played the Mass Effect series all the way through, um, end of three, and uh, I actually don't remember very much from it. I think it's a lot of menu music. In RPGs, a lot of times I get caught in menu music. So I've played a fleeting bit of that game, and it's very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. And finally, our good friends at a top three podcast. Shout out to them. Um, I, I just... Uh, Vince, you might not appreciate this as much as Ben, but Ben, I I just listened to their episode on the top three defensive uh, football players. Um, they're Browns fans, from what I can gather. They really did not have a lot of they they struggled to say good things about the Steelers. That's funny because I well never mind. Yeah, uh, Steel Curtain. Uh, remember that in the seventies? I'm just saying. Um, any no, they're all great people. I was alive in the seventies. <laughs> What the ben, fuck? Ben, Ben's our Ben's resident. Like, I remember Vietnam. <laughs> that is checks notes groovy. Um, they suggested, of course, Nobuo Umatsu. We're going to talk about Koji Kondo and Nobuo Umatsu here in a little bit. Um, thank you for everybody that wrote in. That was incredible. I would love to do more listener responses like this in the future. I don't know about about you guys, but 100%. I really enjoy this. I like to hear recommendations from people because. 
it lets us know that people are listening, number one. And, and number two, it's it's just nice to hear from you guys. And it's nice to hear from all these podcasts, too. Like, um, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to all of them. But uh, the ones that I have listened to, I, I really do very much enjoy. All the ones that Rick listed off are, are worth a, a, a shot. Really, really. Go subscribe to them. Um, go listen. Now, finally, before we start talking about, like, actual music stuff, I wanted to talk about our opinions. Um, and I wanted to just touch base with you guys and see who you would talk about or what series you might touch on if I asked you some of your favorites. Uh, ben, you want to go first? I'm happy to go first. So I actually do have a game that I consider to have, at least from my perspective, which is not law. Um, I have a game that I do consider to have the best soundtrack I've heard. And I will say it's Koji Kondo related. If you would like me to share it, I will share it. That game would be Skyward Sword. And this game was not only worked on by Koji Kondo, but there were four other composers who helped craft the music for this game. Um, that's, that's kind of what wins for me, but I'm happy to share more opinions later. I want to hear what you guys have, what you're, what you consider to be the best or, you know, composer wise, who you are consider to be monuments in their own right. I, I quick question. Do you know if, um, they recently re-released Skyward Sword on HD, right? For Switch? That's correct. Do you know, did they do any kind of reorchestration or remastering of the music for that? I'm not sure, actually. Um, they did so... Yo, do you know Vince? Knowing Nintendo, I'm just going to make an inference that they did not. <laughs> I will say this about that, though. This game, the way that they did the music was so incredibly organic. and so, I mean, because they used a real symphony orchestra for literally everything. Yeah, I don't know if they remastered it, but I don't know if there was much to remaster in terms of the actual music. The game itself, it needed a little bit of a scrubbing, as it were. So we all know on this show, Ben, that you're a big fan of The Legend of Zelda and Koji Kondo. Do you have any other series um, whose music that you're particularly drawn to? Let's let's just gloss over the fact that I can't pronounce that word. Go ahead. Parlicurary. See, I can't do it either, so it's perfectly fine. Um, other games, um, I've liked, and I know it's, you know, it might sound silly, but I really like what Toby Fox has done with Undertale as well as with Deltarune. Um, other games where the music has spoken to me, um, in particular. The Professor Layton's series, um, I also like. I, I'm a big Nintendo person, so I, I can't really help it there. Um, in terms of other composers, I can't, I mean, I, there are obviously people, I like everything, and I, I know that there's a certain member of this, uh, podcast crew who wants to talk about a certain game series and i don't want to say what game series is it it is right now um but i i i, I enjoy a lot of things from the nintendo 64 i'll say that my turn yeah vince why don't why don't you go all right i'm gonna tie between two games and they're um uh, i think i it took me a while to i because i knew you're gonna ask what like my favorite favorite was and i'm gonna go with uh the wind waker legend of Zelda: wind waker solid um that soundtrack is there's so many earworms. I think it's so mo I think it's it's so through composed so well. And what's special about the Wind Waker is the seamless transition between the actual pieces in the game, and I think it's brilliant in that way. And when it uses silence, it's so good. Um, and my other my other pick, Banjo Tooie. Banjo Tooie is my next pick because that soundtrack is so quirky and weird and fun and goofy and it was between that and doom which i think was pretty funny but 
We could talk about all of them, but Banjo-Tooie. Love it. Well, I want to camp out on two things real quick there. Um, so I have not played any of the Banjo series, but I have played um, other rare games. And I know with Donkey Kong Country in particular, they use a lot of the in-game sounds as piece, um, not as pieces, but as contributors to the music. Do they do that in Banjo-Tooie as well? Yes, sir. And a lot of the voice actors are also in the soundtrack as well. Yes, they are. I love that. I think I think that that adds a sense of organicism to the games, but not like in a realistic organic way. Um, I mean, especially with rare games, it, it like you said, Vince, it, it, it adds this layer of quirkiness to it that makes it sound very, it, it sounds very video gamey. And I do not mean that in a derogatory way. No, no quirk is the, is the nail on the head there. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's immersive, but it also, I, I don't want to say that it kind of turns the mirror like towards yourself whenever you like hear your own character making a noise like in the music. It's just, they're very, it's very strange, but it's, it's good. I don't know. That was, that was the other game series. I love what they've done for the banjo, Kazooie and Tooie stuff. So yeah, the newest banjo game as well. As well it's also has a very good soundtrack. They're all very good. And you mentioned silence too. That might be, you know, Talking about silence and other soundscape things, perhaps maybe we could talk about that maybe later in the episode. I don't know. What do you guys think? That's fine with me. I think it's it comes up. Cool. As for me, um, you know, my my favorite has always been Nobuo Umatsu, um, composer of most of the Final Fantasy games, uh, one through uh, nine anyway, with some contributions to ten and onward. Um, or at the very least, 10. I don't know about, uh, well, I don't know about 10-2 or 13 or anything. But um, I'm also a really big fan of the Persona series uh, music. And the composer for that is a gentleman named Shoji Meguro. He, uh, he's a guitarist by trade, I believe. He composed Persona 3, 4, and 5 for sure. Um, I know he was a director on the PlayStation Portable port for Persona 2 Innocent Sin. I think it was Innocent Sin. Um, yeah, he's got a really cool sound. He, he does a lot of mixing of traditional compositions with popular music. I know like Persona 3 is very rock, um, excuse me, is very, uh, hip hop and sort of jazz heavy or, um, no, I would say more hip hop and funk. Persona 4 is more J pop. And then Persona 5 is, uh, jazz adjacent, but he does a lot of good work too. I, I'm a big fan of him and Umatsu and, I wanted to <laughs> do a quick shout out to the composer for Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future and certified unhinged uh, presence on Twitter, Hideki Naganuma. That man, I mean, his his beats are fresh. He's the CEO of Funky Beats, but um, his, his Twitter presence is insane. I, I cannot recommend following him enough. Please share. Yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar. Ben, are you familiar? Would you no? But would you say his music slaps? Oh, it slaps. Would you say it hits for no reason? Well, you tell me. 
Now, doesn't that music that we just listened to in real time and definitely not through the magic of editing, doesn't that slap? I I feel like I've been slapped. Thank you for the yes ands. Lo- loving the yes and energy. <laughs> Got that booty shaking. I'm just sitting here in my little chair, just wiggling back and forth. Without pants on at that. <clears throat> yes. Yes. It is always hot in here. What an unfortunate event. What um before we dive into like sort of the history of how video games utilize music, what um what are some things when you guys are playing a game, like what are some things that are additive to you in terms of video game music or sound? What or to ask the question in another way, how how do you feel that the music can impact a narrative, the gameplay or both in a positive or negative way? So if I if I might speak first to this, um, one thing that I listen to, and and I'm gonna use some music jargon here for a moment, but one thing I listen for a lot is light motif. Um, that's something that matters to me. And and for those of you who are not familiar with the term light motif, because I'm not going to assume that everybody knows, um, but it's it's a recurrence. It's it's a theme that keeps coming back that's associated with characters with situations with ideas so that's something that i listen for very very heavily and that's something that informs me and means something to me um we talked a little bit earlier and i know we'll elaborate later um on the absence of music because you can tell a lot by pulling the music from a game um it's sort of like you're playing a scary game and like there's like sounds and then there's music and it gets a little bit too quiet and we can camp out on that we can camp out on that now if you guys want to. It seems like a good time to talk about it. Yeah, I'm down to camp on silence. And also, Ben, I, I want to touch on when you said uh, leitmotif. Also, something I notice as well in terms of leitmotif is reorchestration of that motif and, and the way that that, that motif can be used um, uh, to either convey something bad or good happening to, let's say, a main character. I think a good example is uh, the Great Fairy Fountain theme that is oftentimes used in Zelda. Like, that's a very a theme that almost everyone knows. If you heard it, you could be like, oh, yes, I've heard this before. And reorchestrations of that to, to describe. And especially across the Zelda universe, across the games, reorchestrations of that um, are, are notable. Well, it's not just Zelda. Koji Kondo is very good at reorchestrating and re-emphasizing his melodies in particular. Like, thinking about Super bob Battlefield and then... Um, Oh, what's the da 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 da? Which which one is that? Oh, ba da 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 da. I can't remember the name of that theme. Is it the Rainbow Cruise theme or something? Ba Yes, it's Rainbow Cruise. It's Rainbow Cruise because I know it from Smash. Yep, it's Rainbow Cruise. It's the same if you boil the the melody down. It's the same melody. He's just reorganizing it in a way to make it feel fresh. And I think that's one of the things that Koji Kondo does at a masterful level, as, as does Nobu Umatsu, which, you know, we saw with Vivi's theme and Garnet's oh, theme oh, a lot mm. in Final Fantasy IX. We see that in Final Fantasy VI a lot as well. Not as many leitmotifs in um, ten and eight, but yeah, yeah, those two in particular are masterful at, at, right. at doing that. Notable is also metric modulation between those themes, and also both of those composers, I find it interesting that they both are heavily modal in their composition. Um, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going to say, if I could fin- like round out the things that I listen for most in music, um, and then I'm glad to volley it. Um, so I definitely say leitmotif and usage of it. I would say absence of music and how it is used. And then thirdly, um, and this might seem really mundane, but it's how music is 
used and like like for example the skyloft theme in skyward sword depending on where you are in the skyloft the theme changes slightly and i think that that's beautiful and the loop is such that i don't find myself getting bored so the ability for me to not get bored is a big deal because if something drives me insane i literally cannot play the game and that's probably why i haven't touched yoshi's story in a long time so do you mind if i grab that and run with it ben because that's actually one of my main points is i'm going to start out with a negative point it's repetitive music and games I cannot play the Elder Scrolls Skyrim anymore. I simply can't do it. It either has to be muted or I have to be listening to some other form of content because the soundtrack is so bad. I mean, it's like, okay, it's not bad. It was good, but it's just too repetitive. It's just too much of the same thing over and over again. Repetition can be a good thing when it's when the motif or or for lack of a better term, when it's reorchestrated, or maybe we have a, uh, a different tempo, or we're hearing it in in a different register of instrument, or this, uh, you know, any different way. It just has to be different in some way. Um, another thing is if is if, if a, a soundtrack stands alone versus if it stands in game. Mm. Um, there are some games like The Witcher Three where the soundtrack I feel like could stand alone because that game. Um, really did employ a lot of uh, live music and cultural instruments, and I think it's it's worth a listen. Doom is another one that has a soundtrack that can stand alone. Some of our horror games that we're playing in October, some of them do not have soundtracks that can stand alone because they're mostly uh, creepy noises and wind sounds. So you're not really going to want to listen to that. And we can talk about atmosphere and sound as as a device too, but I wanted to use your point Vince as a as a jumping off point is is this notion of music working as a diegetic device or as incidental music or as a soundtrack itself so just to define those terms um so as to not be an an egghead on a podcast when we say music is diegetic what we mean is that it is existing in the universe so using Vince's example of Witcher 3 think of the numerous times we hear those sort of Eastern European folk music being played in the square. When we Mm -hmm. say music is incidental, we mean that it is punctuation-esque. Think of any musical that you may have seen. Um, I'm not sure about Hamilton, but think of any classical musical that you may have seen, such as Anything Goes or Sweeney Todd, or of any opera or operetta you might have seen. It punctuates a scene to add effect, and soundtrack is just that. It is there to enhance the character, to enhance the experience, to enhance the world, but the people or the characters in the story are not aware of it. And I think all of those work well, depending on the situation. I I myself am always... I like them all, obviously, but when it's done well, I find diegetic and incidental music to be just really really well done uh i i I agree very much um i think they all have their place and i appreciate them all for what they are and i can i say rick i appreciate you defining both of you defining the terms that you use because we understand and i i very much do appreciate that you're giving our listeners the benefit of the doubt um kudos to you to you guys knowledge is power baby (laughs) using skyrim and and witcher as two examples i think one of the things about those um soundtracks that i enjoy um is their use of diegetic music now i do agree vince i find skyrim to be incredibly um repetitive um and i don't always find its use of diegetic music to be very convincing whereas witcher i think witcher's or witcher 3 soundtrack is one of well one of many areas where that game really excels 
And that's because diegetic music to me, like when it's done really well, it enhances immersion, which I think is always additive in a video game, especially one like that. You know, maybe it doesn't matter so much if we're playing something like, oh, I don't know, getting over it or Rocket League, then immersion is not quite such a big deal. But something that's a fantasy setting or a story-based setting like Witcher, like Nino Kuni, like Final Fantasy, like any of these games, even Hotline Miami or Spyro to different degrees. I think that immersion is also a good example. Yes. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, uh, the Banjo series does an incredible uh, job with this too. Yes. Which oh my I know, God, yes. I know we'll dive into this, but, but Rick, is that something that you would say is what you listen for in a game first? Because Vince and I have taken our turns. I think if, well, it's tricky, right? Because immersion is, is something that can go in either direction pretty heavily. Um, I think if, when it's done well, I don't notice it. If I'm, if I ever find myself thinking, is this music supposed to be diegetic and immersive? That generally means that it's not because it's not succeeding in keeping me immersed. I never thought about that with The Witcher until I shut the game off and thought back and said, man, that music is really good, right? Mm-hmm. Versus music that is working as incidental or soundtrack that its purpose is to exist sort of in its own lane and elicit response which again does happen in Witcher, but happens a lot in, let's say Mario. Or I was just going to say Mario Kong. Kart. Mario Kart's a great example. Each level has its own, yep, uh, incidental music. You know, or even using the examples we were given by our followers, Tony Hawk. Um, that kind of music, where it's music for music's sake, that's where it gets. Um, you know, I'm okay to vibe with that in the game. I'm okay to kind of put the controller down and be like, "This is good." Yep. But like if it's music that's trying to be diegetic within the universe and I notice it, then I find myself often thinking like it's not succeeding the way that I think it wants to. Um, But to kind of round out that long drawn out answer, Ben, um, that's one of the things I'm with you in the notion of leitmotif. Um, I think those are uh, really well done. Um, (laughs) Another... um, Another series that I'm watching right now is The Boondocks, and anytime Uncle Ruckus or uh, Uncle Ruckus is on the screen, they have the same like tubby tuba leitmotif for him. So <laughs> I, I always think that leitmotifs are a good time. Very um, Peter yeah, and I the think, Wolf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Peter and the Wolf is another one that is a classic example. Um, you know, or if any of our listeners are just casually listening to Wagner, you know, as one does. Casually, of course. Yeah, he would have liked that for his music to be experienced casually, I think. Yeah, I mean, his music was experienced casually in, like, Nazi Germany. Oh, I thought you said it was accompanied by casualties. Sorry. Ha! Oh! <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> fuck Wagner. Honest to God. True, this is a fuck Wagner podcast, honestly.
Yeah, so we were kind of camping for a minute on the notion of the absence of music, and then Vince, you brought up horror games. And Ben, I know that horror games are um, one of, if not your very foremost fortes and of things that you enjoy experiencing. Do you want to talk about, like, what do you think makes an effective horror soundtrack? And I don't just mean music. So, um, first of all, I'm... I'm flattered you've called it a forte. I would consider it more of my friends like to watch me get scared, so they force me to play scary games. Um, so that's kind of... And yes, I feel safe at home, and I feel safe with my friends, everybody. But I appreciate your concern. Anyhow. Um, things that I think... So so the things I think about immediately when I think about soundtrack, but like soundscape in horror games, something that really matters. Um, Five Nights at Freddy's. Let's let's go there first. Um, All right, let's start at the, the goat. Let's, let's do it. Start, let's start there. Um, first of all, if you don't know the story of how Five Nights at Freddy's got started, it's incredible and it will be a few minutes of your life that you will not waste. And it is incredibly inspiring. Anyhow, so the game starts, you get to this screen and everything's fuzzy and you hear this really ominous, like underlying string section playing like these, like, you know, it plays like a single note and it's accompanied by, of course, the scratching of a television that's in bad shape. But it uses these half steps and it uses these really like unsettled rising and falling that, you know, cinema and other forms of media have instilled in us to be creepy, scary sounds, which I think is an incredible psychological study that we could get into. But I think that that's just it when we have disjunct harmonies and when we have dissonance and when we have things that don't quite feel comfortable. I feel like that really sets the stage for a game. Um at least for a horror game when we're in the menu, when we're in the game itself, um, it comes down to the creak of the floorboards. It comes down to the wind. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about playing phasmophobia lately and, uh, there's no music when you're in the house. In fact, there's like no music in that game whatsoever, but like you'll hear someone breathing behind you through your headphones. And every single time it makes my shoulders jump up and I lunge back from the computer. Um, and they actually changed Phasmophobia now. And uh, I know. in the new update, when the ghost is haunting you, it sings to you. Have you have you experienced that yet? Yes, and it's horrible and it freaks me out. But It freaks me out too. And it uses this like very cherub-like, angelic, like, ooh. Like, actually, I, I, can't, <clears throat> I can't even sing So Me. It sings. It sings in minor thirds. It just mm-hmm. sings in minor thirds. I'm not singing minor thirds. And in no, it's it's great. So I don't know. That's that's the kind of stuff I think about is how they set the table. For me, whenever music is kind of functioning diegetically in a horror game, it doesn't do as much for me. It just mm-hmm. it just does. It doesn't feel like it connects because for me, I want a horror game to feel as organic as possible, personally. Right. Well, I think it doesn't have to be just music in a horror game, right? I think the sounds can function diegetically. I'm um, going fair. back to. Five Nights at Freddy's. I'm I'm not as sweet on that series as as I know you are, Ben. Um, but one of the things that I I think it does well are um, the sounds that you can hear of the animatronics kind of existing around you while you're in your cubicle. Um, if we're just talking about the first one, yeah. or in the um, the second one, you can hear them crawling around in the vents at mm. different points too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that works for me very well, and I know that's I. I, I kind of actively dislike phasmophobia, but I, I know that, that that works in that game as well. You can you can hear things around you. And I think that's you know, that's a form of diegetic sound, and I think um those two examples do it very well. Diegetic oh. sound, yes. Diegetic music in horror games doesn't do it as much for me. That's all I'm saying. Right. And also the um it depends on, on the mix 
if we're going if we're delving into technology and like the actual like nitty gritty of it like the way that that sound is is mixed in video games is so so important in terms of horror games omnidirectional sound most games do are are equipped with some kind of omnidirectional sound now but depending on on the, that sound stage and how um immersive and specific that sound stage is and depending on the speakers or headphones that you have it can really affect your experience um, when you're when you're gaming and i think horror games are, are are such a good example i think horror games and fps are two games where omnidirectional sound are, are so so important to to the way that you play the game almost asmr yes yes you need very very specific tight sound where to now boys um oh what about what about games i would like to actually touch on um Games that use music as a part of, of, of level design in terms of, um, let's say for lack of a better term, like DDR, um, like games like that, DDR Guitar Hero, because I think those games deserve a, 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 an honorable mention in terms of incidental music and the way that they, they use incidental music. Um, similar In similar veins to those, but games with original compositions, I have lately been playing a game called Everhood, and um, I find it very fun. It is a guitar hero style like dodging game and uh it's very if you're into like new age midi composition new age 8-bit composition it is very very good i highly recommend uh this this, this game um but you're kind of on a guitar, guitar guitar hero style track and dodging dodging actual like musical notation as it comes and what i find interesting about it is that it uses the different motifs as colors and shapes so that you know in the form this is coming, I know that, that this is going to happen. I can dodge this type deal. Being raised Presbyterian, I never really cared for nor excelled at Dance Dance Revolution, but I played a lot of Karaoke Revolution, and that was a good time. And Guitar Hero was the bane of my existence. Rick, what's your experience with those games? Um, I I mean, I never minded Guitar Hero. I... I played Guitar Hero a lot whenever I actually played guitar in high school. So it was one of those things where, like, I never wanted to play the guitar part. Like, I w- would have much rather played the drums, like I think most people did. Um, but, you know, I think they got better as they went on. I think um, the newer versions of Guitar Hero work super well. Um, and, you know, not not all of the music's my cup of tea. But in terms of a game, you know, I think it's good. I I I have no problem with it. I'm actually, I, I don't know how new this is, but I know they're talking about re-releasing, uh, I want to say Rocksmith. I don't know. I don't know the titles of these games, but it's one where you can use like rock band. No, 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 no. I I think it might be Rocksmith. It's the one where you can use a real guitar and like actually plug it in to like play the notes. So it actually like kind of teaches you how to play as you go. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'm, I'm, strongly considering picking up guitar again but um because i I haven't played since high school but um you know i think that's pretty cool too because it's like it's this new form of music education that you know is reaching kids that we wouldn't normally reach with traditional music education and regardless of how far they decide to go with it i think that is just and good as a music teacher myself in a classroom i approve this message and it's you know it's not like we're making the next yo-yo ma um we're just trying to make expose them and i i think that's a great tool it's equipping and arming the next generations of appreciators and listeners and those are the people that we need to reach out to the most right now because 
the people that are like our age know why they like it, but the young persons who have access to video games, it's a really wonderful port. It's a really wonderful um, step into the water. If I may get on a little soapbox, if you guys don't mind, uh, I'm currently with my fourth graders talking about the difference between liking something and appreciating it, finding value in it. And I think that um, posing that question to young people is so important because they might say that they don't like something simply because they don't know it. But what I offer in return is tell me why. And also, uh, most of the time they cannot tell me why. Um, also, to appreciate it, to understand that this per- that someone created this and put this out into the world, right? And whether you like it or not, whether you have a personal preference on this on this um, music, um, this music has cultural value most likely to some sect of people, and uh, this music serves a purpose in the societal whole. Um, more is 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 better. I I'll say in this in this sense, like so, it adds value to the human experience to the human existence. You know, I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up, Vince, because like something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is. I I read this quote, and the quote was that consuming culture is not a personality trait. Hmm. So it's always culture. been a fucking Woodstock. Are you kidding me? Like I I can think of nine example nine like right now. It it absolutely is. You know what I mean? See, I disagree. I don't oh. think consuming culture is inherently in and of itself a personality trait. And I was thinking about that in regards to our podcast, right? Because, you know, this episode we're talking about music and sound, but largely what we do is we consume culture, but more importantly, we we engage with it, right? And I think that's where the personality comes into play is not just um, blithely consuming the culture, but engaging with it in, and engaging with yourself in such a way that you are able to form opinions on it. I think that's where the personality comes into play. And like, you know, I, I think about this all the time. Like when I'm consuming stuff that I enjoy, I think of that quote and it's like, well, this isn't, you know, why do I like this? And going back to what you're doing with your fourth graders, I, I think that's a really, although incredibly difficult, but I think it's something incredibly important to do because, you know, the sooner they're able to articulate why they like things and why they don't, they can go down a couple of different avenues, namely, why do they like that or why do they dislike it? And two, assess whether that's fair or not, right? You know, like any fourth grader for the first time that hears a string quartet, there's a very good chance that they're going to say, I don't like this. This is boring. There's a, uh, an example I use of Appalachian music, Spoons. Um, yep. There's a woman on YouTube and her name is the Spoon Lady and she plays Spoons. And I really like her because she shows people how to play spoons and we play spoons in class. And at first glance, when they hear the spoons, they do not like the spoons because it just sounds like clickety clack, clickety clack. Then I show them a video of her playing with a real bluegrass band, real orchestration, real singing, all this stuff. And I see feet tapping, I see heads nodding and they like it. And I use that as a perfect example. Well, and psychologically, where they're at in fourth grade, you're kind of teetering into a level of being able to express and even understand things like sarcasm. Because, Vince, I can guarantee that you have 10 or less students who can even comprehend that right now. No, they don't. Yeah. Right. Physically, they cannot understand it. It just doesn't make sense. So, I mean, for them to not be able to find their verbiage as to why they don't like something, I mean, that's a big deal. Um, You know, but to appreciate it, you know, you can it's all about hearing the the 
the parts of, of the whole. And Rick, whenever you talk about consuming culture as a personality trait and you're talking about you don't, you don't think that's a personality trait. I, I think that that, I think that there are some people who are hardwired to care about culture a little bit, but more than anything, I agree with you. I think it's a nurture versus nature thing because I look at, like, for example, whenever I look at, um, my own family, I'm going to talk about my birthday in 2018. We all went out for ramen and I was sitting there and I had my chopsticks and I'm eating ramen and I look at my sister who was holding the chopsticks in a way that it was like, I have no idea how these work. And I said, what, what do you, what do you mean? How did I know how do these work? And I've realized that like, I don't think that that's a personality trait. I think that that is something I was nurtured into from being in the music world, from having, from having my life be surrounded by culture and by people who encouraged me to try new foods and new things. And I'm not saying that my sister is any less or anything. I'm just saying she didn't have the same upbringing as me. So I guess I'm just kind of throwing a giant, this is a nurture thing for me. Oh, I really want to get in on this. So like, Ben, I really think that's an interesting point. And when I said I disagree with you, Rick, when I assume I'm consuming culture, me as a mature adult who loves to consume culture, I the assumption that I'm consuming it is also coupled with the actual interaction of the culture. Bo Burnham's Inside. I is a good example and not a video game, but we could talk about it because I, I, I'm glad that you're going there because I wanted to as well. Okay, good, good. I'm glad. Cool. It's so worth mentioning, even if no one did want to go there. It's so good. It's so culturally, culturally relevant to my age group, to uh, what's happening culturally in America and the pandemic and whatnot, what have you. Um, me consuming that, me just watching it, right? We have to learn. It's a learned behavior, Ben, to watch this and then assign this a meaning. Mm-hmm. We have to assign this some kind of meaning, 100%. no matter what it is. Um, and, and I think the most important thing to drive home, even with my students, is that it has to have a meaning. It like, And it doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be assigned something in your head that anchors this somewhere, you know? Yeah, and Vince, when although I'm saying one thing and you're saying that you disagree, I think we are saying the same thing. Yes, right? I think we. Yeah, that's I, what I meant. Yeah, that's basically in law. In short, what I meant to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Bo Burnham's a great example because when anybody is that strongly ubiquitous in the zeitgeist, there are going to be people that are consuming that content or that culture just because right it's you know it's the thing to watch right now it is the thing to do and that's where it begins and ends right i now do i think there are a lot of those people no i don't i don't think so you know it's like you said it 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 exists within a space where we get to interact with it and we get to interact with ourselves and think about what does this mean do i like this why or why not that like therein lies the the marrow of consuming culture to me, I think it's not just, you know, having it on in the background, which funnily enough, or ironically enough, he, he addresses, well, that, yes, I, and he addresses it in one of the songs. It's like, that's not consuming, that's not consuming culture with intent. That's just something's on TV, you know? So I, I think we're all, I think we're all saying the same thing, maybe just on different points of the page, but we're Absolutely. all on the same page, I yep. think. Yeah. Am I on in the background? Are you on your phone? Is the is the direct quote from the Bo Burnham song, uh, uh, and then he says, "I'd ask you, but 
I'd ask you for the answer, but I don't want to know because we most likely know what the answer is as a part of the cultural zeitgeist is that you most likely were not paying attention in the first place. So, And that becomes, I think, more prevalent in video games. I mean, there are people, and I'm not calling either one of us out, Vince or Ben or anybody listening, who just play video games for the sake of playing them. See Smash Brothers, see Rocket League, see Call of Duty, see Splitgate is the new popular one. And that's fine. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it, but I think that's missing out on a lot of the consumption of culture because, you know, it's it's like we've kind of roundaboutly been saying. It's one thing to consume it. It's another thing to engage with it, you know? Absolutely. And for some, And for some people, engaging with culture is playing with friends, and that is fine. I think I don't I don't think it's as deep of an experience as you can go, but it is no less valid. <laughs> right. Know? Like I said before, it doesn't have to be profound, but it has to be something. There is by nature a requirement that through age and um, experience, you you form opinions and, and engage in, in a way with with our with the media, which, by the way, my sister did end up eating the ramen even though she had training wheels on her chopsticks, it all worked out in the end, and she was a little bit more cultured that day. And I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say, and I know Ben is not gatekeeping, but I don't think gatekeeping chopsticks means that you're not appreciating the flavors or the textures or even the social environment of a meal. Um, and I bring this up because I know Ben knows that I'm not accusing him of gatekeeping, because that is the most antithetical Ben Bugale thing I could possibly think of. Um, and also, I don't know how to use chopsticks either. I'm just going to come out and say that. But I'm not saying that being able to use chopsticks or not use chopsticks is indicative of anybody's level of culture. I'm just saying I was more exposed to it. That's You know what I mean? And and that's... I know what you mean. I smell you. I know. But, you know, I don't say anything disparagingly against you, my sister, or anybody who can't use chopsticks. But I am saying to that end, consume the culture. It gives you a greater sense of empathy, um, a greater sense of this world. And if you don't want to, that's also okay. I'm not going to gatekeep, but I am going to hold you accountable to being a good person because you can't complain about a world if you're making it worse. That's right. And in terms of culture consumption, time always gets away from us as we get heated on these debates. Uh, do you guys want to get into some meat and potatoes? 100%. Yeah. Why well, don't? Yeah. One thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit was the origins of video game sound. Started started with a boop. So it's interesting because I I was looking into this today and, you know, the first game that had continuous sound in it was Space Invaders, right? In that, what was Space Invaders? Like 70s? Is it 70s or 60s? It was. Your guess is you. mine. It's one of the two. But of course, video games had sound before that. I mean, 78. Pong, 
78. 78. Okay, I gotcha. So the way that video games used to work for our listeners that maybe don't delve into retro games as much or maybe are just too young is that cartridges used to have what are called sound chips. Um, And these were small chips that were inside of the cartridge that gave it the ability to replicate sound. What we associate today, like when we hear music um, colloquially, we'll call it something like 8-bit or 16-bit music. What we're actually describing is the shape of the sound wave. So as you listen to me now, or Vince, or Ben, or any of the music that you're hearing, the sound is being produced via physical sound waves through the air that we can't hear. And each sound wave has a specific shape. So if we were to sing an octave, those two sound waves are going to be different. The the higher octave is going to be moving at a specific rate that is twice as fast as the lower octave. All music exists in sound waves. When we hear 8-bit or 16-bit, what we're hearing is what we call a square sound wave. And at first, that was all these cartridges could produce were square sound waves. Two of them, in fact. They had two channels to produce square sound waves. And it's worth mentioning that there are four different types of sound waves. Square, triangle, sine, and sawtooth, um, in which we all experience every sound, every instrument. It can be boiled down to those four waveforms. And one of the biggest jumps that we had, one of the reasons that the moving from the 8-bit to the 16-bit era was so monumental, that that is to say the NES to the SNES slash Super Famicom era, um, there were a couple of things. I mean, the hardware was getting better and better. The programming and coding and level design were all increasing. Um, And, you know, keeping it on topic, the sound chips were increasing too. At this point in time, the sound chips were able to, instead of just having two channels, they were able to have five. So that's a 150% increase. They had two square channels, just like before, two square channels. They had one triangle channel, one noise channel, which admittedly, I don't know what that means. And then the fifth channel was a like low-quality digital sampling. So we're able to go from the early NES sounds to a palette that's more than double the depth. Um, and that's sort of the late 80s or the 80s and the 90s versions of the music that we're seeing. So we're getting really orchestral-sounding um experiences on the SNES, sort of uh, like the following clip from The Wedding from Final Fantasy VI. music that we just heard in real time indeed it is i i'm angry but i liked it good pick rick (laughs) so like one of the things that are cool though and like i I can i'm happy to give you guys a setup for a spike for this is like when composers are given parameters to work in rather than endless bounds it often sparks creativity so like these composers were given the parameters of these small sound chips um, and they weren't able at the time to write orchestral scores to fit into these games you know what I mean? 
New ideas right. are fine, but they are also illegal. Sorry, what? I just uh, there's a Michael Scott meme that somebody put music music theory professors over his face. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the quote he said. Some sitting here like, ah, yes. So they want to do all these things, but they cannot and they should not. Well, and they just couldn't. They were limited um, by what the technology um, allowed them to do musically. And so, to be honest, I mean, it's amazing that we have these stalwarts in music history. Like when anybody thinks about the Mario theme. It all started off in that 8-bit fashion, and then as, you know, they migrated to uh, the, the newer console, it, it suddenly we have 16-bit, and suddenly the music takes on a whole new shape, and we just see the composers try to stretch. Um, yeah. Damn, guys. How do, how do we miss the counterpoint reference in here? It's like first species, second species counterpoint well, I, I don't i don't want i don't want my argument to be misrepresented um i'm not saying that new ideas are bad and i'm not saying that oh, having no, a bigger tool bag means that you're going to you know have a more myopic sense of composition but and vince i i know you're going to know exactly what i'm talking about oftentimes imposing guidelines on yourself promotes creativity so like vince if you were teaching a new student how to improvise in a jazz sense, what are the first two notes that you tell them to use? I the third feel and, the third, the third and the seventh. Right? I mean, I was about to say the tonic and the seventh. I was, I was about okay, to say just those yeah. two, those two things. Yeah, but whether it's the tonic and the seventh or the third and the seventh, um, you're you're giving them a set of parameters inside of which they can play. That's a pretty that's that's a sort of juvenile example, but like. Um, do you guys read the, um, not the onion, um, the oatmeal at all? The web comic, the oatmeal when it comes up, he's got a really good comic about how like creativity when you're given absolutely zero boundaries can really inflict that paralysis by analysis kind of thing that Ben, I know you're a, a big, um, I don't want to say advocate for, but a big, <laughs> um, you, you notice it. It's a frequently. real thing in my own compositions. I, when I don't have rules to tr even try to break. When I have too many, li you know, I, yeah, yes, yes. And, and if you were, if you're doing composition, Ben, even something as minute as deciding on a time signature or even how you want a cadential progression to play out, that's a big step towards getting the creative ball rolling, right? I, I would say so. I mean, it helps get the ball rolling, but you know, it's on both sides of the argument, right? Whenever I give myself no boundaries, things start to go poorly. When I give myself too many boundaries, it gets really boring and really unsatisfying or dissatisfying very quickly. Um, yeah, so no, but that paralysis by analysis, good Lord. I mean, the best things that have happened have been moments whenever I'm trying to like break free of something. So yeah, and I know that you weren't, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's that's precisely what I was saying was like these composers, I mean, Umatsu and Koji Kondo, right? They were, and we're going to talk about them, so we might as well trans transition into them now. I mean, they're masterful composers, but they were not working with something that could emulate a full studio orchestra, right? Um, you know, something like the soundtrack to Nino Kuni might be able to do.
And because of that, they had to sort of play within the boundaries, you know, and compose within those um, parameters. And in some ways that, you know, gave them more opportunities, if that makes sense. It absolutely does, because, I mean, it's it's what what um, what's the what's the quote about, like, the birthplace of in, uh, ingenuity or the birthplace of creativity is is having limits necessity is the mother of invention type that's field? exactly it that's exactly it because they had so little to work with so what did you know koji kondo do for mario he wrote basically just a little like almost tropical sounding rag in a very simple way but it was an earworm that's lasted how many years now um over 35 so like and, and then you know as as time progresses as technology improves they keep having parameters but they also keep gaining distance they can go. And I, 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 uh, it makes my heart swell. I'm not getting emotional. You're getting emotional. And I know these two aren't like video game composers, but you know, I think that's why we see musical geniuses like Charlie Parker and Frank Zappa who know the rules and have played by them. So intently they're able to break free from that and create new ideas that, have have up to that point been unheard of is because they they've worked within the boundaries and then they're able to exhaust their creativity and then they do away with them. So I don't know. I, I think, I don't think it's entirely a paralysis by analysis, although that's like a big part of it. But I, I think, I think boundaries are often, at least when we're speaking of, of creativity, not, I'm not going to give a sound bite that gives like broad implications into horrible things. <laughs> um, but you know, I think I think boundaries can often help us be creative um, more than we might think or more than we might want to admit. I know, like, Vince, when I was learning jazz, I hated doing exercises of just, like, playing the third and the seventh or just playing one, two, three, five over every chord in a progression. I hated it, but it was unequivocally the best thing that I could have been doing, you know? Right. It gives you structure because, like Ben said before, you need to be able to break the structure. And people who we revere... It, musically, historically, are people who have broken structure, people who have who created structure and then broke the structure. Um, it, they weren't just people who did whatever. There were people who did do whatever, i.e. John Cage-esque people. Um, but that in, in itself was also a new form of structure. So there has to be some kind of precedent established before we can really un- understand. My favorite band of all time is Queen. The reason that I love Queen, aside from the, uh, I would say, unrivaled vocal folds of Freddie Mercury, the other thing that I really like about their music is the fact that if you're listening to good old-fashioned Loverboy, this, the piece starts in E-flat major and then does a quick little pivot to C minor, you know, does the five of the five, and then we're back at one. But it, like, goes to, I mean, out of left field at the, ooh, let me feel your heartbeat, just shortly into the song, we pivot to B major, for God's sake. And you're thinking, is this classic rock? What am I listening to? But he uses B flat major or B major to pivot to B flat major. And suddenly we've created this like Neapolitan sense. And you're sitting here going, is this, you know, and this is me listening as an adult, as a child, I just liked it. But as an adult, I sit here and go, they really kicked the rules around. They didn't just say, oh, I have to God bless CCR. But there are more than three chords that exist in this world. And right. it's okay to explore them, guys. Right. John Fogarty, you know, actually, I love what's you. What's interesting is is about CCR is that CCR doesn't sound like they only use three chords. 
because of the actual no they don't ben come on come on what is ccr down on the corner water okay down on the corner yeah yeah credence clearwater revival rick is what we're referencing okay okay i gotcha um uh, conversely steely dan does the opposite um if we're thinking steely dan i i'll redeem myself here i do love ccr though I but, do love CCR. But that's what I'm saying, and, and that's what I meant by the joke earlier about the meme about new ideas are, are, are fine, but they're also illegal, is just that. Like, when we have parameters, we're encouraged to break them and to stretch uh, to, to the ends of the earth what we can do with what we've established. And, you know, bringing it back to, like, video game stuff, talking about um, musicians working within parameters, I mean, Ben, you brought up Toby Fox. Um, to- Toby Fox, as far as I'm aware, is a trained musician. Um but all of his compositions within Undertale have to work with that sort of square wave uh, chiptune-esque sound chip. So I, I, if I might, I actually did some reading and some watching on Toby Fox. And I actually emailed him once. I don't know if I ever told you. I think you, you may have brought this up on the last podcast episode, but you could tell it again just in case not. Real quick story. So I, I got done playing Undertale for the first time. And I just, I was head over heels for the game. The music's great. The, the, the game itself is a wonderful game. And, um, I was so inspired by the music, which I'll talk about what I learned about it in a moment. But I emailed him and I said, Toby Fox, I want to congratulate you on this game. You've really, you know, you've moved and shake things. And I, I've, I've read nothing but good things about your game everywhere. Congratulations on basically disrupting the flow of everything. I said, the music was really wonderful. And as a musician myself, I was curious to know, um, what your background was. Sincerely, Ben. And he wrote back one sentence, and it said, My background on my computer is a pick of a dog. And, of course, he said that with his acerbic wit, which he applies to his music as well. But um, I then responded, of course, in hysterics, and said, I'm curious to know about your musical background and like how you got started. And he gave me like three sentences in the next one. But, um, yeah, he's, he's, a real, uh, he's a real piece of work, but we are so thankful he exists. Yeah, I agree. I... You know, I'm, I think, well, we're going to talk about Undertale in the Undertale episode, but spoiler, like, I think it's a good game. I'm not fandom levels of obsessed with it. I think it's got fair criticisms to be levied against it. Um, but I, I think the music is just really, really fantastic. And, you know, one of the parameters that he had to work around was what this, what the, um, Oh, I mean, he, he created the game in 2015, 2016, so obviously he had full access to modern technology, but being that he wanted to be as diegetic as possible to the roots of its inspirations, he was working within the confines of what would have been like the 8-bit era of that sound chip. So he was imposing those restrictions upon himself, so much so that like I think if there were reorchestrations of Undertale, I don't think it would sound as good. See also Final Fantasy IX the Maguri mod, the reorchestration of that. Vince, I know you played a little bit of that game and you quickly turned that off because the orchestrations just don't, I mean, they're good, but they're not the same, you know? Agreed. It it sounds good in its original form. And I think the simplicity of it is what makes it beautiful. So if I might, I, I learned that Toby Fox, when he was writing the music for the game, he actually used FL Studios. Um, That's how he... Um, created the game so yes there's a lot of 8-bit sounds but um, in the musical selection that I sent to you which maybe it's playing now behind me IDK it's a nice fusion 
of those 8-bit sorts of sounds, but you hear that he brings the strings in in this beautiful way. Um, he's very funny with his music, like when he, in it's time when he writes music like Dummy Fight and other themes, but something curious is his use of cordioids, which is something I learned about through a channel on YouTube. It's a great channel, 8-bit music theory. It explores this and can offer more a more in-depth explanation. Um, but a cordioid, it's a group of notes that don't fall into a traditional chord qualification, which is extremely vague. But if you think about how jazz chords um, can leave out the implied fifth and uh, let's say, uh, you know, it's like a seven or a nine chord, that's kind of what a cordioid is. Um, that snowy theme is 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 just kind of that. Um, it has some Neapolitan. I think Eric Whitaker just put into an SNES sound chip. That's a great that's a great example, yeah. It is, but with more lines. I don't like Eric Whitaker all of the time because sometimes he's just color and I really like some lines, but um you know, the snowy theme which is slightly different from the theme that I sent you um really messes with and is chock full of cordioids as is Animal Crossing, but um yeah, ah. to- Toby Toby Fox was clearly inspired by Joe Hisashi who did a lot of the Miyazaki movies. I think you can hear those sweeping chords which are just ugh. They strike a chord in me. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. This is future Rick here. Uh, we just wanted to let you know that this will be Ben's last episode. Uh, we've enjoyed having him on, but we're sacking him after that last joke. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah, a majority vote. Uh, he's done, so kids. Why don't why don't we end by talking about the two goats that people have asked us to talk about? Um, finishing thoughts on Nobuo Umatsu and Koji Kondo. Do you guys um, like if you had to pick a favorite soundtrack that they've done? What would that be? Can I go first, Ben? Please do. I was going to ask you to go first. Yeah, my Koji Kondo soundtrack is actually wait. Can I just as as a small side? You, the you Bossa can't. Nova stuff in Animal Crossing is so good. Like, I think Animal Crossing was such a, a good thing to mention. There's so many great things in that game in terms of music that is repetitive, yet good. Take notes, Skyrim. Take the th- notes. The 3 p.m. theme is Giant Steps, the chord progression. Yes! That's, oh my god, it is! That's all I want to say, and I know I sent that to you, Rick. So if you want to play that little sassy bit now, you can. Anyhow, Vince, forgive me. Take it away. Please. So I'm looking at um, <clears throat> the ocean theme in Wind Waker. In terms of uh, Koji Kondo uh, and, and and the brilliance of, of his compositional technique, when you're on the ocean and Wind Waker, things happen. Uh, you experience tornadoes, storms, dark light. Um, in each one of those themes, as things change in the actual atmosphere, we, we hear changes in the music. And I like the rolling the rolling uh be da da di 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 da and then during the day what he will do is he will actually superimpose over that sometimes and then sometimes not and i think that's brilliant mm-hmm. it's just so simple it's just uh what's the monophonic is one what's the one for two 
Polyphonic is meant. Is it? What is it? Polyphonic? Two or more, right? Yeah, two or more. So it's just a great example of a very, very simple polyphonic music. That's my Koji Kondo spiel. I really, really, really like his compositional technique. I do too. And I want to say, Rick, I know you have feelings on Koji Kondo, and I know you're going to have a lot to say on Umatsu. Oh, listen to me, Umatsu. Who am I? On Umatsu. So if you, if I might, I, I have a <laughs> Umatsu. Sorry. Um, I do have a lot to say on Koji Kondo that I'll try to wrap up quickly here. One of the things that I found myself, because I love, I love him too. One of the things that really bar- bothered me that I learned about him recently is that he actually borrowed a lot of the sounds that he interspersed into the into his music from soundscape CDs, and I didn't know this. Um, and I think it was Scruffy, the YouTube channel that that discovered this. It was either him or somebody else. Um, and that's not to say that he didn't write good music. I just it was it was really prevalent in Ocarina of Time. He wrote a lot of original music, but he wrote this music around those signature sounds that he was borrowing from places, and that kind of bothers me. Um, see, and a lot of people will say uh, composing music is who can borrow it the best or who can steal it the best. Some people say that. I'm not saying that that's necessarily true, but I guess I just went for years thinking that Kondo had come up with literally all of these things just blossoming out of his head, and that's not necessarily bad because I've clearly been inspired. I mean, the only reason I write music is because I've heard enough music to know what I like, so... um, I guess I was just caught off guard and I wish I would have known that, but it doesn't make his music any less good. Um, now, as you both know, Majora's Mask is my favorite game, pretty much of all time, pretty much. Um, and I do generally enjoy the despondent tones of the music. And the music, uh, sometimes it's triumphant and festal and that's fine, um, but it is rather forlorn and languished. But And I, I feel that that, you know, kind of talking about... Um, Music and absence of music, I feel like it really does improve the atmosphere and narrative. But my favorite piece by Koji Kondo of all time is the Water Temple theme from Majora's Mask. And it's the runner up is the Lanayru mining facility in Skyward Sword. But I'm just going to go off for a quick second and then I'm going to be done talking about Koji Kondo. So I'm going to throw a bunch of music theory jargon out here for just a hot second. But the Water Theme Temple. The Water Temple theme in Majora's Mask. It's Gamelon inspired, for God's sake, which is... God bless. That's so uh, cool. It's just... It's it's disgusting. Look up Gamelon music if you're not familiar. It's in 4-4 time, beginning with the sounds of these oil drums being struck. Then this clanging of metal gives us this industrial feel. The clang starts showing up every three majors, but then it measures... But then it shifts to every two. Unpitched synth comes in around the clang, throwing the rhythm off a little bit further. But then he pulls it entirely when he brings in these grouping of of three sixteenth notes that function as like pseudo triplets, which are descending. And, you know, it fights the established rhythm and makes it feel like you're propelling into 9-8. And then at the end, he adds like a five sixteenth note ascending segment. And there's fading in and out constantly. Things aren't lining up anymore. He drops the percussion. And then he brings in these triads that are along the whole tone scale, which is all... Ugh. And then he brings the uh, the synth in, and then it just all starts over again. And you just can't get your grounding anywhere, which I know in your experience... I think you've both played Majora's Mask, have you not? So you know, like, this theme, like, the temple is... It's changing direction constantly. It's It's just... It's perfect. I love it. I don't know. That's the instrumentation like. and orchestration reminds me of the Goron City theme from uh, Breath of the Wild. <clears throat> the the way that, that he uses the, the the metallic instruments. I can see uh, that. 
in that way that he uses um, his timbre and the direction in which he chooses to let the melodic lines or just pitched lines in general go to reflect what is going on around. That's one of the things that I think he and Umatsu both are incredibly strong at. I wouldn't call it diegetic because it's technically not, but it's one of those things that it's music that is directly in line with the character of its surroundings, right? We might call that affected music to borrow a shemanism. Yeah. For those playing along at home as well, uh, timbre is color of sound. Uh, just to pick up it. You're welcome. Got you. No, and that's, but that's just it. I think that this particular piece of music, the Water Temple from Majora's Mask, is Kondo at his best. It's masterful madness, um, especially whenever he does these whole tone scales, drops percussion, it's in and out. It literally, the meter mixes while never mixing in such a way that you have no grounding. And then he throws in like hemiolic structures which a hemiola means that like we've taken a note and put it over the bar line, which it's, it's very, um, it's very ragtime ish, but it just feels disjunct. So, um, but yeah, he does this in a lot of his games and in a lot of his temples, he will really immerse you. And I just, I love him for it. And to be honest, Rick, that's one of the things that I really liked in final fantasy nine was the fact that the music, um, I don't want to say baptizes you, but it just tosses you right into how a place feels, especially um, Traino and all that jazz. Um, it, Yeah, I don't know. Steiner's theme? Yeah, Steiner's theme is a big one. I go back and forth between 9 and 6 in terms of what I think is Umatsu at his best. Um, he had more to work with with 9, and I think his leitmotifs um, are just off of the charts in terms of how reflective they are but he does a lot of really creative stuff in six including i don't know if you guys know this um but at the end of final fantasy six where you're fighting the end boss which uh I, I won't spoil here because there may come a day where we do that on the show um but the end boss theme is 17 minutes long and it's constantly changing like it's a piece of music it's called dancing mad it's a, it's a piece of music and it, it changes and it plays with its structure and its form and its harmon uh its harmonic rhythms um it's it's really masterful he was pushing the sound chip of the super famicom just to its limits at that point it, it's really quite impressive now i have to play it so thanks. I, I, this makes me so excited about game soundtracks all over again, and I think that's that's the beautiful thing. Like, it just makes me want to now. I want to go back and play Majora's Mask, and I want to hear that. You know. Oh um, yeah. And and I want to play Final Fantasy VI, and just for, for the hell of it, because the soundtrack is good. You know, well, we've got um we we've got a request shout out to Brittany Brown, Brittany Keller, Nay Brown to play Final Fantasy X. I don't know if we'll actually ever get to that, but. Uh, shout out to Brittany all the same if she's listening, I guess. 100%. Yeah, I would say that's probably my favorite Umatsu would be a tie between 6 and 9, which, <laughs> nice. I think in terms of Kondo, I haven't, you know, I've 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 got a screen up right now of Kondo's discography. Um, didn't know that he did Punch-Out and Pilot Wings. I had no idea. Of course Punch-Out um, I knew. I didn't know Pilot Wings. And I haven't played a lot of these, to be fair. I think from what I've played, it might be a tie between Majora's Mask and Odyssey. Ooh. Um, uh. Probably probably with a nod to Majora's Mask, I think. Not that Odyssey isn't fantastic, because it is. But 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. He like he's so consistent with what he writes. Dude, Jump Up Superstar. He just wrote a fucking big band chart just for the hell of it. He really the, did. And it's good. It's really good. I could listen to it on its own. Um, yeah. But that's just it, Rick. I mean, like, and, and I don't want to say we're comparing apples and oranges, but like, you know, at the same time, whenever we hear things like the soundtrack to Majora's Mask, you know, which had its limits for its time. And then we have Odyssey, which has this extremely lush and extraordinarily orchestral, you know, soundtrack. I mean, it's it, it, it's hard to, to say which one's better in... in you know, I don't know. I just, I find almost everything he's done to be appropriate and good for what he's been writing for. Um, Majora's Mask is a galaxy of darkness and uh, Odyssey is a galaxy of, well, it's not Super Mario Galaxy, so forget I've said anything. And just as a fun little aside for anybody listening, like if you're hearing us talk about these and uh, these composers and getting inspired... Um, just know that Umatsu and Kondo both did attend university. Neither of them attended for music. <laughs> they, Umatsu played, uh, keyboard in like commercial bands and wrote television jingles. Uh, Kondo, I'm not entirely sure, but I think he might've went to school for administration or something, but yeah, it's, um, from one academically trained musician to my audience, I'm saying that that is not the only pathway to success. For right. sure. Amen. That's right. And and we're also not saying that um, we're going to keep this lovely, amazing music just because these people don't have a formal education. We will talk about it at length. And if you'd like to reach out to us and ask questions, we're all three of us are more than happy to answer or talk with you about what your thoughts are, what your feelings are. And they can be literally at any range. Um in the musical scale, whether you're somebody who is an appreciator, whether you're someone who, you know, doesn't know where to begin, whether you're somebody who's, you know, contemplating pursuing music as a career. We're here for all of it. Excellent choice of vocabulary. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, I like that. I don't know what I said. That means you were in the moment, which is good. Where am I? Who, who are you? I? Who are who? you? Oh, I was going to say, who am I? No, um... Umatsu, just let me let me just ask one more question. He did the music for um, Brawl, right? Yes, sort of. He and Kondo worked together on oh Brawl. Oh my um, god! From what I understand, um, and again, I I have Kondo's Wikipedia pulled up. Oh, <laughs> I I might keep this in. I might not. Um, but can I just show you guys the picture of Umatsu on his Wikipedia page real quick? Oh please. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mood I want to be in constantly. The little hat. Like, I love the hat. I'll have what he's having. Um, no, but um, Umatsu wrote the um, the main theme for uh, Brawl. And on Kondo's Wikipedia page, it does show... Uh, where is it? Where is it? It shows him as being credited with musical arrangements. So they work together. I know that for sure. Um, whether... Kondo just arranged the music that he wrote, like for Yoshi, Star Fox, Kirby, I'm not sure. Um, but they did do some sort of collaboration. The Brawl theme is also the best Smash theme of all of them. It's so good. It flattens. Yeah, I like um, that in terms of the themes, that's definitely the best one. I I don't remember if it's the 
training theme or maybe just the menu theme, but Melee also has a good one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and Melee was operating on GameCube, which was much more constrained parameters because of those tiny little discs. You only put so much data on those, you know? And, you know, this, this uh, segue, or not segue, this um, tangent is probably going to signal, you know, that we're done with the episode, but... Um, I am going to buy the Nick, Nick All-Stars Brawl the day that it drops. I don't know if you guys watched the game gameplay footage of that. It is like melee levels of precision plus added mechanics that is going to make it just an incredible game. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I can't there's wait like to... There's like wave dashing, there's air dashing, there are several different like rock, paper, scissors style mechanics in terms of like if you hit each other at the same time... You can grab projectiles as any character. I'm hoping that there's voice acting. They say there isn't going to be. And uh, there is like no in-game sound during battles, which kind of sucks. But I Yeah, the in-game, the in-game sound got really annoying in the preview battles that I was watching. Um, honestly, though, like when I play Smash, a lot of the times I'll have like YouTube pulled up or podcasts. So I'll probably just do the same thing on that one, to be honest. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Same. A friend of mine sent me uh, some gameplay footage, and uh, I think uh, I think he has inspired me. It was me. It was you all along, baby. Yeah, so I'll probably get it too and give it a try. But I need to get my um my sea legs back with Smash. So you boys look for me, and I'll I'll be there. Any parting thoughts? Parting thoughts. Uh, honorable mentions, if I may. I don't want to go. I don't want to open any cans of worms here. Pokemon Ruby, Twilight Princess, uh, Mario Kart 8, we mentioned as well, um, Pikmin, all of the Pikmin games, and the way the Pikmin chant to the music, I think it's brilliant. Um, that's all I got. Uh, I'd like to give some honorable mentions, now that I've uh, pulled up my Steam library. <laughs> uh, gotta give it to Cuphead, right? Uh, uh, I mean, yes. gotta talk about Cuphead. Uh, Danganronpa really really good um fallout really good we talked about firewatch uh why we thought that was good before yep yeah a game that i stream sometimes called lisa super good um oh and of course um sonic adventure 2 ah dude yes oh uh in terms of of games that are you were talking about that 80s vaporwave type deal um far cry blood dragon Far Cry Three Blood Dragon has it's a very eighties vibe, um, a, 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 worth a listen, worth a buy too. It's a very short Far Cry game, and it's actually the best Far Cry game I think I've played. So, worth a play. My my honorable mentions are Professor Layton and the Curious Village. I would say Animal Crossing New Horizons. I know we talked about some of these, but these are still um, games that have done something to me. Um, and even Armored Core, if for no other reason, the Raven's Nest. So, I don't know. There's a lot of good video game music out there. There's a lot more that is good than there is that is bad. Yeah, for sure. And of course, you know us, as we play our games, we will absolutely cover the soundtracks, good or bad. Um, we always do talk about them. This has, been a, this has been a PPR late episode, guys. It's been a late, boys. Yeah, I think we did it. I think we I think we covered everything that we set out to for today. So that's probably a good place to call it. I would agree. I concur.
All right. Well, as always, if you like what you hear, uh, consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict. Uh, that's where we're going to see them. Also, tell a friend. That's very important. Tell a friend and share. Uh, all of our podcasting friends that have been sharing, uh, we appreciate you. And we've been sharing uh, as often as we we're able your stuff as well. So, uh, unless I forgot anything, um, yes, how they could get a hold of us. How they could get a hold of us. Um, sorry, Ben was holding up his phone to his screen and it was just a white block. And oh, I, I saw it. I thought screen. you did too. You didn't see it, I guess. I'll go first. Hi, everybody. It's me, Ben, and I'll go first. So if you want to get a hold of us on the Instagram, you can do so by looking us up. We are Pixel Project Radio Podcast. For those of you who have participated in our polls and in our questionnaires, we appreciate it so very much. We ask that you continue to do so, and we ask that you continue to share that information on Instagram, Pixel Project Radio Podcast. That's right. And for those of you fellow kids out there who would like to uh, tweet at us, uh, you can tweet at us at Pixel Project Pod. Uh, that is our, our Twitter. We're not super active on the Twitter, um, more so active on the Instagram. So get on that Instagram, follow us. And uh, you can also email us too if you'd like to. Pixelprojectradio at gmail.com if you so desire. That is all true. Uh, so until next time, then, my name is Rick Firestone. My name is Vince Vizelli. My name is Ben Bugale, and we hope that you'll be listening to us again real soon. Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.